Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Daniel. Right, everybody. We're going to get started today by talking about some listener feedback. In the last episode, we talked about the Wolves of St. August, and I asked online, what does the little chirping bird symbolize, if anything? I want to thank Jonas McCaffrey for writing in. He said, in a lot of Mignola's stories, animals seem to know more about what is going on than humans do, and that seems to be the case here. The first panel comes after Father Kelly says that God is all around and the bird sings in agreement. The second panel comes after Kate realizes that they're dealing with the wolves of St. August and saying that name seem to, seems to startle or worry the bird. Then it sings in contentment now that the ghost has left Art. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. That's kind of what we talked about as well. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about animals uh, during the stories today. We also talked about Valpurgisnaut on the chain coffin. And Jerry Turnbull wrote in on Facebook, uh, letting us know that Valpurgisnaut is also um, mentioned in the opening chapter of Dracula, which is one of Mike Mignola's favorite uh, favorite books. Jerry also let us know that Lemuria, which was mentioned in Right Hand of Doom, could be a nod to Robert E. Howard. I went ahead and I didn't I wasn't familiar with Robert E. Howard. He was a pulp writer um, in the twenties and thirties. He only lived to be thirty. He created Conan. Yes, exactly. And he wrote a lot of um, these kinds of stories with... um, I don't know if it's Lemuria or Lemuria. It's often mentioned in the same breath as Atlantis or, you know, and there's there's all these different kind of folklore ancient cities that are... um, Lost civilizations. Yeah, lost civilizations that are... I like that ...weave its way into these kinds of stories, which I really very much enjoy. Yes. I say I think the first time I heard Lemuria is in a Marvel comic. Right. Okay. Uh, with a war with Atlantis. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, these kinds of, um, these places are referenced a lot in, in fictional literature. Today we're doing our short stories part two episode. And so we've got a lot of stories to cover today. I'm really excited. We're going to start off talking about Pancakes. Yay. Pancakes first was published in Dark Horse Presents annual 1999. And it was colored by Dave Stewart for the collected edition. So this is really short. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and share your... Th- what, what do you think about this? Yeah, well, the collected edition is what I was reading from. So I just love the way everything is so lovingly rendered. The the way the pancakes are, are so... You know, the way the butter is melting on there. And it's a reminder that even when dealing with subject matters that are dark and grim, you can have some fun. And it's a, it's a lovely little insight, <laughs> however short it may be, into hellboy's youth you know he's growing up and he's like i want hot noodles and you know your parents are like you can't you can't have noodles for you. you're gonna have some pancakes you're gonna try it and you know the whole oh it's yucky but you haven't even eaten any and it's just this curious juxtaposition of this old general like trying to coax a young boy yes. into eating some pancakes it's just so cute it's so cute i yes. love it i was just gonna say i really like you know the way that help young Hellboy is drawn. He just looks so cute and adorable. And then especially with him playing with that dog. And um, I like the way he yes. pronounces them pancakes. It reminds me, my younger brother, uh, Nick, I believe, used to call pancakes, uh, panty cakes. Panty cakes. Yeah. <laughs> Not with a T, just N-Y. <laughs> it's yeah. really cute. Yeah, that whole, the Pam cakes and all that. I, you actually showed me this uh, a long time ago, John, and I just remember it just, it struck me as being the most adorable thing. To to have a story like this in such a dark universe is is 
a lovely reprieve to have this little kid like, hey, I love pancakes. And then all the demons are like, oh, this truly is our darkest <laughs> hour. He, she shall never come back to us now that he has tried the pancakes. It's super cute. I also like how it, it kind of feels like um, those old school um, Sunday morning strips that it you does, used to see. Yeah. You know, it's just short. It's to the point. It's cute. It's funny. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, just a little little Hellboy eating pancakes for the first time. Uh, just try them. Just try them. <laughs> Super cute. I remember my parents doing the same thing to me with certain things. Like, just, you don't know if you don't like it unless you try it. Right. <laughs> sort of like a green eggs and ham, except with Astaroth, Grand Duke of Hell. Yes. So a <laughs> couple of a fox in a box. <laughs> a couple. A couple things. So we get introduced to Mac the dog. Right. Hellboy had a so had a dog cute. when he was a little kid. Um, Hellboy's three in this story. Uh, mine says two. Oh, okay. H two, yeah. I guess it was. I thought it was forty four when he appeared. So might be before his birthday. Yeah, maybe oh, yeah, before, right before his birthday. His birthday. Oh, yeah. right, because his birthday's in December, <laughs> so that would be at the, at the end of the year. So he's still two, maybe two and a half. What a cutie pie! So uh, sometimes when we're talking about things, I have to bite my tongue on some comments that you all that you all make because I want to go. Oh. This, this, and this is going to happen in the future, but right. I don't want to say anything. Well, we're and, a no-spoilers podcast. Right. So you had mentioned about Astaroth yeah. when he says, call me yeah. at the end of Box Full of Evil. You said, this should be the this should be the image of Astaroth. This should be. Yes. And so we get to see that one again here. I love it. It's kind of like that and same And we've got Maman of, here. We have Maman and Harborim. Harborim. These demon names, like a lot of the ones that we're going to see and we've already seen with Wallach. Yeah, I like it. I like that we're having are, a silly bit of fun here, you yeah. know, with these horrific demons from hell. It also kind of reminds me of like the goblins from uh, Labyrinth that hang True. out with David Bowie. And they're like, True. ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love when they're all screaming out. And But for them, this kind of pancake eating symbolizes more and more that he's becoming yes, one of the humans. It's a very good know? and wholesome activity to eat pancakes yeah. on a on a weekend morning. It's a very, you know, a, an adorable little kid playing with puppies and eating pancakes is not going to be the ruler of hell is, right. is what we're going for yes. here. Yeah. And we get a little insight into Hellboy's just a little kid. He's just a little kid. He's, yeah. you know, he wants to play fetch and eat pancakes and that's all he wants. He just wants to be a kid. Yeah. And so going along with that theme, this kind of strays from the library edition uh, reading order, but we're going to go ahead and, and dig into the Midnight Circus. Which in the omnibus, it's directly after it, so it, it fits. <laughs> That's why I wanted to include it. I thought it was an interesting way to incorporate this pretty recent story. The Midnight Circus was originally published as a graphic novel in October of 2013, and like Aubrey was saying, it is collected in that short stories volume one omnibus. The Midnight Circus is interesting to read in this reading order for me because it's our first Duncan Fagredo art uh, from Hellboy. And Duncan Fagredo is an awesome artist who comes on to the books to help with uh, a lot of the art for the Hellboy stories. And as somebody who's been reading the books for a while, I don't I didn't get his art this early. You know what I mean? I didn't get it until way later. So I think it's kind of interesting for people who are picking up these omnibus now, kind of new readers, are getting introduced to Duncan a lot quicker than than I did. 
And so to have this as your first Duncan story, I think is just great. All his art that he does is amazing, but I think he just totally kills it on this story. So Duncan uh, did the pencils, uh, Mike wrote the story, and the colors are by Dave Stewart, which are also awesome. On the forward to the graphic novel, Mignola dedicates it to Carlo Colloid, who taught him everything about what a puppet should be. Carlo is the author of uh, The Adventures of Pinocchio. He created that character. So uh, Mignola is a, is a huge Pinocchio fan, as we're going to find out in this story. And he also says to Ray Bradbury, who confirmed my worst fears about the circus. So this is a reference to Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is a dark fantasy novel from 1962 that Bradbury wrote about boys encountering a traveling circus led by an evil Mr. Dark who turns out to be an evil being. So we kind of see some uh, some references to that too. And Figredo dedicates it to his mom, who always told him to keep out of trouble or something like that, right? But he, 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 he got into trouble anyway. So uh, what did you guys think of this opening? So we, we open in on the, on the bureau. We see that Falling Water, Frank Lloyd Wright tribute building. Even though it is a different artist, I still like that it kept that whole dark kind of shadowy thing. And I, I feel like, you know, um, it, it's really, you know, even though it's a different art and a different style, it's still reflective of Mignola's style and keeping it in that Hellboy world. Right. He does do a good job of kind of providing it, uh, providing some kind of continuity art-wise. And I and I like this opening shot with the statues. You can definitely uh, yeah, see. Yeah, I love the Art Deco uh, style, all the colors, the weird details. Yeah, and I like how you can definitely see how the perspective lines in it. It's like a definitely a, like a one-point perspective look to it. Right. You got little stained glass windows up here. There's these these beautiful it's really nice lamps. Inside this. Nice in it, it, it's nice. It's nice inside this Frank Lloyd Wright house. Yeah. And the guards say that it's going to be a quiet night, which is always like in the beginning of any oh, movie. Oh, why would you even say that? When you go, oh, yeah, I bet it's going to be a quiet night. You know that it's not going Come to on. be. Hellboy sneaks around, and he witnesses Broom talking to Malcolm Frost. Now, recall Malcolm Frost, right, from Seat of Destruction number one. He was the guy who freaked out when Hellboy was born. Frost tries to convince Broom that Hellboy is a threat. Um, and while they're talking, Hellboy jumps out a window and falls uh, out to a tree and falls down. And the guard misses him, right? He's talking to this girl on the bench. And so he misses that. She's like, was that a squirrel or something, right? It sounded like a, what? Like, sounded like a big squirrel. <laughs> I'm actually just noticing, too, that, um, well, when I when I was reading this, that his little cloven feet, he looks like a little cute little devil monkey. He's yeah. just adorable. And I, I know that he... I'm sure he's been rendered with cloven feet in all these stories before, but I'm for some reason, um, I'm just now noticing that here when he's swinging from the trees. Yeah, he's really cute. He's just really well. All his little movements as he's jumping out the tree and everything are just uh, really well done um, in a in a very cute, loving way. And we see we see that he's, you know, well, Broom is reflecting on some things in his office, but we. Cutting back to Hellboy, we see he's sneaking out to try a cigarette. Like, what a cute little kid thing to do, you know? Like, yeah, that's... he takes a cigarette and a match out of his pocket. And Broom is reading. He reads uh, what Malcolm Frost was referencing to him. I saw a city barren as dry bones, and the angel said, This is desolation, and I went down into it, and the only living thing there was a creature. In most ways, it had the shape and character of a man and was not terrible to look upon. But then I saw in its right hand, it held the key to the bottomless pit. 
So this was also referenced in Right Hand of Doom. It was the passage that Adrian Frost read to Hellboy or recited to Hellboy. So he was Malcolm Frost's son. So that kind of gives some continuity there. They they both were kind of probably, he probably heard this a bunch of times from Malcolm Frost when he was uh, coming up. We flash back to five hours earlier and these two agents are kind of talking about getting a date. You know, and Hellboy, I think it's really cute that he he really wants to learn. Yeah, he's so he's so <laughs> eager to be a part of the gang. He's eager to be part of the team. He he wants to be included. He wants to have some friends. And you get the impression that, you know, there aren't any kids in this bureau. Exactly. You're looking around. Yeah. He's the only child here. And so who does he have to talk to? You know, he's hanging out with eating dinner with an old man, which, by the <laughs> way, I want to make a note of he's eating little Pam cakes here. Yeah, I was going to bring that Super up too. Super cute. Uh, yeah. wow. He's eating some pancakes. I, I just, I didn't even notice you know, that. He's, he's eating his pancakes and he's talking to these old men who are talking about taking girls out. They're drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. And it's no wonder why he wanted to sneak out and try a cigarette. Right. And he really, his, this, like, he's so happy to be like talking to these guys. And then he gets so sad, just the expression on his face. And like, ah, you're too young for this. We're not going to talk to you about this. Right. We're, we're going over here to talk. And he's just so dejected and so like, he just wants to be included, and so I, I just love those little, those little moments that where we get to see what's really going on in his head, and and how this character really builds to be the person that we, that we know in the current timeline, right. and it's it's really interesting. I also like how he takes the uh, the cigarette to when well, after to say he's too young, so he take he, yeah. he steals his first smoke, yeah. so he can feel like, oh, I'm not too young, I can smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Right. Also, kids don't smoke, please. Yeah. No, well, no, it's just a very, but it's a very natural kid thing to do. It's it a is. cute little, you know, you who hasn't like done Tried that when they're a kid. I, yeah. did th- that's, I did that. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, you know, you sneak a drink. And then I remember actually, you know, growing up, my family was a little more lax about that kind of thing. I think remember, I, I, I think I remember being maybe around the age of like, I don't know, 13 or so. And my parents being like, here, you can have a sip of wine with our dinner everyone the whole family is here you can have a little bit of you know and so growing up it actually wasn't that big of a deal when i became an adult like oh drinking that's not really a big thing and then like some some kids they grow up and they were absolutely forbidden from doing right. smoking or drinking so when they graduate high school they get to college they they binge and it's too much and so they they're just go crazy exactly yeah. so i think you know kind of introducing kids to like yeah, you're you're really not going to like this and they So <laughs> it turns out you smoke a cigarette and you're like, "Oh, it's disgusting." You know, so when you're a kid, it's kind of it's kind of you want to try things, you want to yeah. be a part of that world and here we see he wants to really be a, a part of the conversation and by sneaking out and trying that cigarette, he's sort of defying their you're not included sort of thing and who else does he have to talk to? You right. Know? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like what is this like the late forties, early fifties? Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. That's when they had cigarette commercials from oh, doctors yeah, totally. at the time. So I'm not saying anything bad no, about no, that. But I'm, it's just, a, it's a I'm good, just saying kids don't smoke. But it's also a good lead into the story of I want to be a part of this world that looks interesting on the outside, but once you get into it, it's mm-hmm. a little more than you bargained for kind of a deal. And that's kind of a good... It's a shallower analogy, but it's an analogy right. nonetheless, I think. Yeah, I love all this um, with him sneaking out to to get the cigarette. I One of the things that I thought was really cool is he lights it on his right hand of doom. He strikes the match on there. What a little badass this kid was. He's two and a half <laughs> yeah. years old, you know what I mean? Like, Well, I, he does like, age a little differently, I think. Yeah. He's, not, he's not quite, quote unquote, human. He has human qualities like empathy and love and hopes and dreams and fears and desires but he's also a demon from hell right which is something that we're all constantly being reminded of and he 
is never allowed to forget, as we're about to figure out here. Mm-hmm. While he's smoking, he hears drums, and a clown leaves a flyer for this circus spectacular. I just want to say something about this clown real quick. When I first saw it, it kind of reminded me of um, the circus clown Emmett Kelly. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. And, uh, the oh, hobo clown. Right. Yeah. Old, yeah. old girlfriend of mine had paintings of him up in her house when I was back in the day when we used to date. Uh, but then it also kind of reminded me when you get further in of uh, John Wayne Gacy. Mm, <laughs> oh, right. That's yeah. the kind of clown he was. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot of creepy connotations uh, with clowns in general, but also this type of clown. That, yeah. That's a good catch, Aubrey. Um, and I, if you look closely at the little, at the at the poster he puts up at the flyer, there's a little illustration of a fly. Good eye, Danielle. That was my trivia that I was going to throw oh, out for okay, this scene. Okay. So <laughs> recall sorry. that Astaroth in Box Full of Evil told Hellboy that there's a seat waiting for him in the house of right. the fly. That's what I was thinking when I saw that. I was like, oh, you're this starting is not to. Be- <laughs> you're <laughs> you're starting to do it. It's coming together. Also on the flyer, it says some A.T. Ross. I, did, I just spotted that. <laughs> what is that? Astaroth. Oh, oh, Aubrey. That's a good one. Wow. Good job. Oh, good I'm job. so mad I didn't even notice that. I'm so mad, too, that I didn't notice that. <laughs> good catch. Yeah, that's really good. That's really oh, good. Oh, man. So this clown, uh, Hellboy, observes him calling all the spirits of the Unbound Universe. And, Aubrey, you were talking about this a little bit, how the art kind of shifts a little bit yeah. when he sees the circus tent. Well, it's like you see the tent in the background and like the grounds around it have this kind of almost watercolory look yes. to it but then the rocks on the front still kind of had that same um look from earlier in the book but it's almost like an ethereal quality yeah as yeah. soon as you get to the circus it switches over to a different coloring it, style different art style like it's a, like you said like it's a painting it makes me wonder if Fregredo is the one who kind of did it like that or if dave stewart came in and colored it like that or was it kind of a combination I of the two they probably got together and we're like okay when we get to this part of the story we're going to kind of blend it into this yeah i would i wonder how that took place for sure yeah uh, let us know if you know what kind of art techniques were used to create that because i'm really interested this clown is calling all the spirits of the unbound universe living in the mountaintops and ocean caves he says, by the written charm, which gives me power over you. This kind of made me think of Box Full of Evil again, how knowing all right. these names gives uh, gives you power. And he says, rise, appear. And these circus folks start to, start to appear kind of out of the darkness. It's really just beautifully done as they all kind of start to appear. There's a giant ringmaster. He says... I am the rider of the wind, the stirrer of the storm, roar, thunder, lightning, fire, earthquake. He snaps the whip and fire encompasses the circus ring. And this fire is kind of like fire that we've seen before in Mignola's art. You know, I kind of noticed the yeah. kind of crackles and a lot of it is just kind of shadow. It's almost like a watercolory yeah. um, Kirby crackle. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a combination, combination of both of those art styles. He calls them to appear, and this elephant appears with this demon rider who smiles at Hellboy. Mm. And I really like his expression as he's looking up at her. Right. Um, he's just kind of marveling. He's yeah. just like kind of got his, his eyes open. He's just kind of looking at this her. This really reminds me of something that um, I, I, I like to... <laughs> I, I love to read anything from Terrence McKenna. I love to listen to all of his lectures. I've listened to everything. You can find them on YouTube. I, I mean, if, if it was 
it, this was before it were it was possible to buy any kind of media you wanted but if 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 he had ever had a podcast i would buy every episode i mean and so he he talks about seeing the circus when he was very young and this was the first impression he'd ever had of eros as he describes it he, uh. and he remembers it he was a very young boy but Right then, it clicked into place, and he remembers, oh, now I understand what it's all about. There was a trapeze woman, and she was in a very tight, spangly little oh, costume okay. and doing her. But he realized in that moment, he remembers thinking how closely together love and sexual desire are tied with death. Mm. And he remembers, you know, just, it's so exciting. You've got daring, death-defying trap like what if she falls she'll die and then she's also very it's a feeling he hasn't really felt before in his young life it's kind of a all of this is really tied together and these two pages really just brought that up for me and and it's it's captured so well like you said in hellboy's expression he's just like dumbfounded at this right woman who is you know what what's she's she represents all of this these very extreme emotions that maybe he's never thought of before in his mm-hmm. you know his little his little life his little brain his, his little, little brain his is, little two and a half year old yeah. monkey demon brain yeah and she almost seems she seems like she speaks with him telepathically she says do not think i'm here for his call i come and go as i choose yeah it's also kind of interesting how the uh, ringmaster right here kind of got a little bit of a demented dr strange look going on right yeah there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> That is doc- very Doctor Strange looking. He's got like the cloak and everything. So f- a little footnote, the clown and the ringmaster, all the dialogue that they've been saying are from Lord Byron's Manfred. Um, this was a story which Byron referred to as a metaphysical drama that involved ghosts and spell casting. Mm. Hellboy finds himself in front of a lust and desire tent for gentlemen only. And I I think this is really beautifully done. Yeah. The art uh, that Fregredo does on this on this tent and these kind of picture advertisements are really great. This is another example of him wanting to know what it's all about. And the you know the guys in, in the when they were all sitting down and he was eating his pancakes and they were smoking cigarettes, they were also talking about I'm going on a date. Oh, we're not going to tell you about right. that though. You'll know when you're older. And he's like, this must be what they're talking about. Maybe right. I'll check this out. I want to be included in this world. And it's like. Slow down, kid. Like you don't, you don't necessarily want to be included in that just yet because he, this is the wrong way to do it. Exactly. It's uh, almost like um, young kids discovering, you know, porn at a young age. Right. right. And I'm not trying to denounce anything like that. I think that's a you know that that can be a healthy way to whatever explore things in your own privacy. But I, I do think that this is obviously something a little more sinister. Like they're trying to use him. Yes. And trick him and and that's not cool. Like so but yeah, when you're, you know, a little kid trying to discover things, there's there's a safe way to do it and there's a way that's like the sneaking out of your bedroom to go to a mysterious circus full of strangers way, which is not safe. <laughs> this is not <laughs> no, don't get do out it. of there, kid. So that same female is there, the one who was on the elephant, but she looks a little different and she beckons to Hellboy. She says it's his rule, not mine. No one will ever know. And his little smile when Aww. he, after she says that, he's just kind of like, yeah. This, you know, this sweet kid is just trying to figure out what it all means. And these, these fucking people are just messing with his little mind. I really am so like, oh, what's going to happen? Ugh. So this man, he stops him and he says, don't go in there. It's for older boys. And he starts asking him all these questions. Where are your parents? 
and she's just kind of looking. There's another. I love that additional panel of just her eyes. She's her look is still lingering on onto Hellboy. Little Hellboy says uh, that he has the professor, right? He's like, don't you have any parents? He's like, well, I don't have any parents, right. but I have the professor. Yeah. Don't you think he'll be worried? Hellboy starts to think that he should go back. But the man tells him, you should, but don't you think you should at least check this thing out while you're here, right? And we get some really cool posters in this in this spot of the uh, of the page. I, I, I'm such a sucker for these old timey flyers and stuff. Like there's one here in particular. It says the living skeleton this fancy gentleman skeleton yeah. flyer. Mignola has drawn this so many times yeah. and I love seeing this artist's that. take on it. It's it's kind of a staple I think now of of Mignola's art there's he's got shirts and, and stuff of it little and he sells prints of it and paintings and so I love that little nod to uh to Mignola's style there's also the wooden boy right. who, who was referenced already in the forward um Pinocchio and there's one that says Colossus, Colossus of Norway yeah yeah, yeah. so I, that made me think of almost Colossus and Roger the homunculus so um, a lot of cool little references. Let us know if we've missed any other references. They're they're all pretty cool. Hellboy recognizes Pinocchio because he's read the book, right? And we get this other little flashback. What did what did you think of this flashback? Uh, I really liked it. I I liked how it went back to the um to the uh, other art style yeah. with the more straight lines and all that. But in the, it's got kind of a real nineteen forties look. And then in the does. Lobster Johnson comics got kind of reminding you know, me of like the Captain America number one. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It does have that kind of feel, and it's another insight into poor Hellboy. His his whole youth is just hanging out with adults who are not interested in anything <laughs> that he wants to do. And he's a little kid. He wants to read comics and talk about. He's so excited, and I'm just like, oh, he's so sweet. Like, oh, I want to be like, oh, help, tell me more about this Lobster Johnson Hellboy. I love Why when are he's you so just excited about it? Yeah. And jumping up on the bed. And he's everything. so happy, and she's just like, ugh, I can't listen to any more of this. And you feel so, <laughs> I feel so crushed by that. And, you know, poor Hellboy, look at his face. He's so crushed. But Lobster's the greatest. Yeah. Like he wants to, and she's just kind of crushing his little spirit here. And I'm just like, can't you find anyone better to watch this kid while he's alone like why although she she definitely has some endearment for him because she calls him peanut so yeah i know but she's just she's not you know very i mean i don't know i just found that very sad and so he's just like in the middle of this library by himself and he's he's just like okay kind of a thing like so she tells him that he she wants him to read a book right yeah but she goes and she gives him reading comics is reading and that's a good way to encourage children who are otherwise not interested in reading to read and i i really don't agree with this whole well that's not a real book like Dude, just sure. let him read what he wants to read. I mean, of course he can read books also. That's fine. But don't try and discourage children from reading comic books just because it's not a quote-unquote real book. Well, um, my parents actually encouraged me to read comics because it did yeah. help you know, with reading books. I think it's because my uh, dad, his... Uh, foster parents you know they really weren't big on the comics and right. when he went away to school he gave them away because you yeah. know the child of a mindset was in the 40s like oh, comics were for children they're and frivolous they were just, right. yeah it was just pulp junk and yeah but i think that it can be a great introduction to a lot of kids to the world of books mm-hmm. and to reading in it it's i mean books with pictures and illustrations and whatever that they tell a story it's a good it's a good medium and I will defend Hellboy's right to read uh. Lobster Johnson comics to the death. I just felt so bad for him. And I think, like, 
it can be like, oh, well, if you like this, you'll like this adventure and introduce them to a book that maybe has a similar character that's, sure. you know, like, and I don't know. I Can't they find someone who's more, <laughs> who's nicer to Hellboy? I don't know. Well, I, I think also it might have something to do with content, too, I guess. Maybe the Lobster comics are just like maybe yeah. people beating people up. But he's beating up Nazis. She wants him to. Oh, well, that's Isn't always. That, well, don't yeah. we want to encourage that behavior, too? <laughs> And he, I, um, I just want to mention that it was Lobster Comics in March of 1944, issue 17. Uh, I don't know. Wait, I don't know if that's a reference to anything. I was just trying. Well, to, hopefully someone can. Yeah, can leave let us a comment. know if that's, yeah. a re- if, that, if that's a reference to anything. If it, if it brings a specific issue of anything to mind, let us know. And, and so he's introduced to Pinocchio here, which is also, you know, that's a classic story. It's kind of got some. Some interesting it, themes in there. It's almost like a pre-comic book. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to mention that his initial reaction is he goes, what the hell is yeah. this? <laughs> what the hell is this? I just pictured this little kid, two and, and he, a half year old he, kid He's like, that. Margaret, when is Professor coming back? Like, and he's like the only, it just really seems like the professor is the only one who actually cares about Hellboy. Right. In any real sense, in any, like with any amount of love. Back at the circus, Hellboy talks to the man about the Pinocchio story. How he also ran away to the circus, got turned into a donkey, and was sold uh, to the circus where they laughed at him. And he was thrown in the water to drown, but instead of drowning, became a puppet again. And so the man tried to, to tell him, well, didn't the circus then save him by leading him back what he was meant to be? So I feel like right. this is kind of a little subliminal message he's trying well, he's to throw in trying there. to groom him, which is A, very creepy, and B, it really speaks to their relationship this whole time and and you get a further insight into what was happening in box full of evil with between astroth and hellboy he's like call me and hellboy's like yeah i don't i don't think right, so man like right. they have a prior relationship here well also like when um they said like isn't it what he meant to be i like how hellboy says but he was trying to be a real boy yeah which, he lingers oh, on that point so yes sad. And that, it, that's really important to him and it makes me think it's gone back to the whole you know, what you're supposed to be as in cho- yeah. trying to be who you want to be. And right. fitting into this world where he absolutely does not fit in and he just wants to be a part of something, some relationship, and he's just got absolutely no access to that, that any kind of appropriate relationship with anybody in this world. It's very sad. And switching gears just for a second, I also want to mention something that y'all were talking about earlier, which is um, the the artwork in this particular story is really highlighted here because we've got that watercolor kind of mood and it's switching back and forth very quickly in between that and this very comic book style. The illustrations from the the book, yeah. yeah. And so there's a very two different art styles that are executed by the same, two same artists. We've got the same... yeah penciler and the same colorist doing these two bits it really speaks to their versatility and and their range of skills within the medium that they're working and i'm you know just really impressed by that yeah it's really beautifully done i love all these panels young hellboy looks great in in all of these and it also just goes to show that you can achieve a range of art styles with you know the simplest tools i'm really I'm just I'm just very impressed by how they switch back and forth between these all these different art styles within the same story. It's really great. And it doesn't it doesn't yeah. feel out of place. It's not jarring. It doesn't take you out of the story. It's appropriately done in the right moments. It's 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 used as a stylistic tool rather than as a look what we can do. It's right. very appropriate and I like it. Going back to Hellboy talking about how he Pinocchio wanted to be a real boy. Um, I thought this line was noteworthy where 
Uh, we know it's Astaroth now, where he says, yeah. well, he suffered a, from a terrible lack of vision. Uh, right? That's, that's his response to wanting to be a real boy that, that, that has a, a lack of vision. Poor Hellboy. I don't know what that means. What are you talking about? <laughs> At the same time, Broom discovers that Hellboy is missing. And then we see, cutting back to Hellboy, that he gets trapped in this kind of Pinocchio fantasy where he's like trapped inside of a whale. What do you all think about that? It's just more trickery. It's more grooming. But very beautifully done. Is he like trapped in the whale or is he just trapped underwater with the whales? I, 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 I wasn't sure, but I think in Pinocchio, like inside the whale, there's like all the ships and all this kind of stuff, all this imagery that we see here, right? Or no? Yeah. Is that just, or is he just at the bottom of the sea or something? I guess it could be taken either way. Uh, but yeah, because in, like, in the Pinocchio story, I think he was eaten by the whale. Right. Um, but here, it kind of looks like he's just at the bottom no, of the ocean. No, because you see like the rib cage in here. Oh, wait. I haven't got to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Okay. I see what you're so saying. The, wh- right. the, the whale is so big. It's a fantasy whale. It's right. so big. It's eating all these pirate ships, which obviously whales don't eat pirate ships. It's ridiculous. But and It's also got birds flying up high. But right. it's. I think it's more of what Hellboy would expect to see. It's done for mood, maybe it's to kind of scare right? him. Yeah. It's, he's trying it to frighten him. It is meant to him. scare him. And then, of course, uh, you have the professor here playing the role of Geppetto when... Uh, Geppetto went out to look for Pinocchio. You right, know, right. Um, and when he found him, he was all messed up in the whale. So you kind of got that imagery going right here. And all these guys are like, "Oh, we don't know where he is." And Professor's like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" And so the agents are. are yeah. Meanwhile, the the uh, all the agents are now looking for him. And the too. agents are like, "We're agents. We're doing our thing. We're going on dates. We're smoking our cigarettes." <laughs> and the professor's like, "There's a little boy, and he is lost. What is your, what is the matter with you guys?" And it's it's just very touching that he would that he would be so concerned because. I haven't seen anyone that's been concerned about Hellboy this whole time, and it's just very, it's a relief to know at least someone is looking for right. him. Right. In the whale fantasy, Hellboy sees this image of Broom, old, weak, and cold, and Hellboy says that he wishes he had a match, and Astaroth tells him that he doesn't need a match, and then we see this apocalyptic vision. This is similar to kind of what we've seen before right yeah in the right hand of doom he says and i saw in its right hand it held the key to the bottomless pit and i saw a great fire come out of it out of the depths of hell and roar across the whole face of the earth hellboy is he's really being put through the ringer here just every possible emotion on the bad end of the spectrum right you know being shown this like terrible when i saw terminator 2 like that scared me you know what i mean like that gave me nightmares and then to see something like this you know at a two uh, you know see that the only person that really loves and cares for him is you know dying in front of him and he's being shown this apocalyptic scene like you said it's horrifying why is this poor little boy you know being put through all of this so Hellboy runs from the fantasy. He runs out of the circus tent. I like this one where he's kind of holding his breath as he runs out of the... He's like running out through the where all the fish are. And then on the on the next page here, this is something that I... Uh, that really struck me is these next couple of pages. The mirror... The carnival mirrors, That yeah. shows your, quote-unquote, your true self. It reminds me of... You know that part of the never-ending story? I've watched that movie countless times as a kid. Um I mean, I'm re- I realize that it's also a book, obviously, but I that movie really stuck with me as a kid. And the parts with the magic mirror and the different gates, there are all these gates and oracles and stuff, and the Sphinx gates and the Southern Oracle and stuff, and all these themes of duality and reflection that kind of came flooding back, like the whole thing where 
who a person really is and who someone appears to be are different. We see that theme a lot, right. especially here. And uh, we see here that Hellboy has been dealing with this since he was a young child. He's been tormented by this for a long time. And it's a deeper look at that character that I really appreciate. Um, there's the pathos and the connection and, and his hopes and what drives him and what he truly fears. It's just a much deeper insight. And so when we get over to uh, Astaroth and this this other uh, figure here, we haven't been shown her name in the story yet. But, no. Um, she, you know, they're, they've got their reflections going yeah. too. And it's uh, something something quite different than what they appear to be. And, and it's a little more akin to what Hellboy looks like, honestly. Right, so if we weren't sure if it was Astaroth yet, if we hadn't caught that little title in the flyer like Aubrey did, right. here you really see that it's that kind of classic form of Astaroth that we've already seen um, from Box Full of Evil and Pancakes, and then we see her, her both of her forms. One form was the one that Hellboy saw on top of the elephant, and then the other one was the one that was inside the tent. But going back to those carnival mirrors, I just want to say Duncan knocks that beast of the apocalypse form out of the park yeah absolutely beautiful it is yeah i was gonna say the same it's so beautifully rendered and just kind of scary looking yes it's really kind of menacing and you know when he sees he's just this little you get this image of this little tiny scared baby hellboy looking at this huge hulking right flaming king of hell image and it's it's hor- it's horrific, you know, and so that's like I was saying. It gives it. I think it really gives an insight into Hellboy's deepest hopes and fears, and and we we now know that that's been going on since he was a small child. Right. Whereas, you know, that he wasn't just introduced to that concept as an adult. Of, right. Exactly. Of, and it's so yeah, really horrific, honestly. As little Hellboy runs out of the tent, the female says to Astaroth, "I told you that wouldn't work." Right or something like that. Right, yeah. She wants to. She wants to kill him. She wants to get rid of him. And Astaroth <clears throat> wants to try and groom him into into something specific. She says, uh, "You're making a mistake." <laughs> right, it's because he's going to be the end of both of them, or something. That that's what she predicts. And so I kind of think that whole thing with the match. They were trying to get him. They were trying to get him to draw out fire. Right. Was that the goal of that vision in the whale? They wanted him to light a fire or make fire. They're trying. Yeah. Well, he's trying to groom him. He's trying to make him into something specific. He's trying to get him to use his powers and take joy in using his powers. And he thinks that maybe by saving the one person he really loves and cares about with this magical fire ability that he can be like, ah, if I can use this fire, I can. I can control my own destiny and I can look yeah. how much power I have. Right. This is a kid who has no power over anything yeah. in his life. That's a and good so point. maybe giving him that power, he can say, I'm the one who showed you this. Don't you owe me something? Maybe I can teach you a thing or two. And that's, you know, gross. It also kind of has like a, um, a throwback to, you know, the whole thing in the Bible where Jesus went out to the desert and Satan was trying to tempt him uh, to turn the rocks into bread because that was his power that he could do that. But right. uh, Jesus resisted the temptation ah. uh, in that whole mythology and all that. Right, right. right. While Broom is still out looking for Hellboy, Hellboy gets attacked by some monkeys. What did you think of this of this little fight scene here? Oh God! Again with them. Those are some evil-looking monkeys. <laughs> they are, and we don't get a. I've been trying to count all the right hand of doom booms. We get a right hand of doom bam. A little bam. Yeah, yeah. that's the two and a half year old version, I guess. Uh, 
And you get the impression that these, again, are not really monkeys. They've got red eyes. They're unusually aggressive and they are talking. So, again, I don't think that he's advocating a kind of violence towards actual monkeys or or animals. I think it's just a very... They're in disguise. They're little demons in disguise. So. Wouldn't they actually be, they look more like chimpanzees, to be honest with you, and monkeys have the long tail. Right. right. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. We keep right. using right. the wrong terminology. I think that they actually address that in other issues. Where I know. We're going to talk about There yeah, are apes that he calls them a monkey. He's like, well, nah, I'm an ape or something. Something I like that. Well, I mean, Hellboy calls them monkey. Right, you know, right, right. I guess they're all monkeys to a two-and-a-half-year-old right. Right. Hellboy <laughs> demon. But in any case, they're not even monkeys. They're like winged demons. So There's a lion as well. And just as the lion is going to pounce, it's pulled back by Astaroth. I told you he was not to be harmed. And this and transition really quickly into his qu- true form is, right. oh, it's so beautiful. We kind of see that he was a demon, and there we, we get shown the monkeys were these little winged demons as well. The lion demon, he says, but she said. Right. So, you know, Astaroth said, do not harm him, but she came and told them something different. Yeah, she's trying to uh, usurp that position of power, it looks like. Little Hellboy comes across these hobos, and they're pretty creepy while the agents are still out looking. And we quickly see that their shadows are of a, right, of a wolf and a cat? I think it's a fox. A, a fox, fox and, and a cat. cat. The BPRD agents continue to look for Hellboy in the hobo jungle. That's what they call it. And they talk about child murderers who were supposedly hung there and continue to haunt the place. So that gives us some background on these two scary guys. We realize that they have Hellboy and they attempt to hang him. You can see the this female demon kind of watching in the background from behind the tree, too, as they're getting ready to, to hang him. The agents find the circus flyer. And then the the circus and the demons, they all kind of appear and they come for the hobos. Astaroth confronts and slaps away the female, who we learn her name is Gamori. Mm-hmm. And she's the niece of Astaroth. And she, he, she really wants to kill Hellboy. Hellboy. Right. Well, we get the sense that she wants to kill Astaroth, too, because yeah. he's like... Um, so long as you... Well, he says, as long as I live, you're not going to touch him. And she's like, yeah, as long as you live. And she says it again, as yeah. long as you live. Yeah. Well, she did say earlier that he was making a mistake, so maybe she's just like, um, yeah. You are in the way, dude. <laughs> right. So now reunited with Broom, they have a they have a good little uh, scene where they reunite and Hellboy recounts his adventure, shrugging it off as a dream. Mm-hmm. So this is like maybe the first time that he's decided to kind of just put his head in the sand, yeah. as, as he said, you know, he doesn't want to know any of these things. So he's like, I guess it was a dream. How quickly he says that yeah. after all this crazy shit happened. He's, he says, uh, sorry, I ran away. I didn't mean it, which is the ultimate little kid thing to right. say. And it's very, you know, you try something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, maybe something a little dangerous or scary. And, you know, you realize you're in over your head. You come back and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Undo. And you're, you know, it's how wonderful a feeling it is to have a parent or guardian that says it's OK. Right. You, you know what? We all mess up when we're exploring the world. And, y- you know, I know you didn't mean it. It's okay. And it's such a beautiful insight into this relationship. And, you know, as imposing as Astaroth is, you even get the splash page of yes, him in the background kind of page. very imposing figure. You've got Professor Broom cradling Hellboy. It's going to be okay. Hellboy's like, I'm not going to do it again. He's like, no, it's okay. I got you, man. It's all right. Also, in that panel where they first find him, isn't that the agent from the beginning just lighting up a cigarette going, yep. Job well done. Uh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch Aww, that. That's great. That's cute. 
Yes, and that last page is just beautiful. You've got Astaroth there in the background and Broom just holding Hellboy. It's really great. The little the end ribbon with that clown right. uh, walking away is, is really good. And just uh, such a great little beautiful story. I, I, I really enjoy this a lot. And I like how um, like Broom and Hellboy and the agents, they're all in that... Uh just like straight pen and ink style yeah. and in the background is you know astroth is that more ethereal watercolor yeah. uh look you know like a juxtaposition between the the fantasy world yes. and the real world or not fantasy but you know but right saying. we know yeah we know the other world yeah. yeah and let's talk real quick about the cover um We've just seen Fagredo's version of all this Mignola stuff, and then to see Mignola's version, version of it, of it you yeah, know? yeah, like we see Fantastic. Gamori on the elephant, we see the little wooden boy thing, and all of that stuff. I really like um, seeing kind of both sides of, of that art style. Oh, and then the whale, and I think that's the clown, but looking more like a skeleton there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know how Mignola loves his skeletons. Oh, oh and right. Then there's that. Um, Top-headed skeleton. Yeah, the guy. gentleman yeah. skeleton. Gentleman ghost. <laughs> gentleman <laughs> ghost. <laughs> it looks like gentleman ghost. I like him. Uh, okay, next we're going to talk about Nature of the Beast. Nature of the Beast was published in 1999 in Dark Horse Presents 151. It was originally published in black and white, and it was colored by Dave Stewart for the collected edition. And so I just really wanted to talk about this cover to begin with. It's just a really beautiful cover. You've got Hellboy... Um, the statue and the dragon um, with the lilies on the bottom. It's just, uh, I, I just really like the way that looks. It's a great, great Hellboy cover. That is the one thing that seems to be missing out of this omnibus is like some of the covers are here and some of them aren't. Right, right, yeah. So we open up on England in 1954 at the Osiris Club. I like the little Mignola skull on I, the yes. sign. Oh, Did man. Did you catch that? I love the sign. I love the building. It's If I saw this place, I would cause a wreck trying to get to it. I want to go in there. It's fantastic. And we get some more cars, Mignola cars. I thought we weren't going to get any yeah. more. So we've already seen Kate's car. Now here we've seen these guys' cars. I think these are the the fourth cars that we've seen. And just real quick, up, uh, up top, right above the title, um, is some lilies Yeah, up here. And I, well, I obviously I've read through the whole story, but I've, when I first read the story, I saw that and I thought it's in a very prominent, significant spot. But it's also just so beautiful. I wonder if this is just some mood yeah. or if it's got something to do with the it story. Kind of, so it, yeah. it draws you in right away. It's really, really pretty. It's very simple. And that's something that Mignola does so well. I'm glad you caught that. So Hellboy's been sent by Broom uh, to help out these guys. He didn't tell me much about you guys. And so they're just like, did he tell you to trust us? to do what we ask you to do he's like yeah well then that's all you need to know so they don't really tell him yeah. anything about themselves they're know. just like <laughs> we have a task for you to slay a dragon so that that that's why he's there it's always kind of weird to just trust a um group of dudes in ancient suits <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very strange hellboy's just like excuse me they tell him about the saint leonard worm which, which is a real legend related to lily beds there is a dragon statue in Horsham where this legend takes place. So all this is kind of rooted in real folklore and mythology. I like how they talk about, you know, the monk was very injured in his fight with the dragon, but because of the nature of the place and the nature of the man. Uh, right. That, that's what caused for the lilies to grow whenever he bled. Wherever his blood fell, that's where the lilies grew. Is that what they are talking about? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I love while they're telling him this, this is such a Hellboy response is, yeah, 
all, all right <laughs> there's a lot of uh we've got we've got all this you're gonna go do this stuff and he just goes okay right <laughs> it's very uh, yeah so they give him this spear the spear that the Earl of Warwick used. This is a reference to Guy of Warwick, who was a legendary hero in the 13th through 17th centuries. Oh. And he had fantastical adventures where he fought dragons, boars, and giants to earn his valor and become a knight. Interesting. And so the Osiris Club is complete with a creepy old woman <laughs> with all the other men, too. And she's got like a crystal ball and stuff. I love all the imagery around her. All the Egyptian yeah. stuff. Is that uh, that same scarab from that very first Hellboy story? Yeah, I'm good eye there. I don't know, but it 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 looks very similar. Well, and Osiris is a god of the dead. Is that right? Not right. True. Egyptian, I think. Egyptian god of the dead. Yeah. And one of the and that dog was Anubis. Anubis, yeah. In well, that he's story. he's a Anubis is the keeper of it. No, he he's like the god of embalming. Or something. He's like he's a god. He watches over the dead. And Osiris is a different guy. Wait, hold on. Wasn't Osiris like the king of um, the, the Egyptian gods? Yeah, king of and the underworld. And his uh, brother Seth killed him, or something like that. He's the god of the underworld, and he he's the god of rebirth. I want to say right. So that's a lot of uh, probably what that imagery suggests yeah. behind the old woman. So she tells Hellboy. Uh, now get thee to St. Leonard's Wood and there do the thing. I like that. And there's a little bird. I love this little, a bird, little bird singing chirps, his little notes. Right? He's like, I wonder if those guys were pulling my leg. The bird chirps and he's like, maybe not. So it almost makes me feel like he's, is he talking to it or does he, I don't know. Maybe well, he, no, just... he's, he comes upon, in the next page he comes upon a scene where Oh, There's he's a statue saying, surrounded by lilies. He's saying maybe not because he sees the lily beds in the St. Yeah. Leonard statue. And You're this right. page, I want to say something. This is a gorgeous wooded scene. Everything is so beautiful, aesthetically, stylistically, the colors, the pacing. The whole page is a work of art. And I say that because, uh, I mean, it's it's complete. It's complete. It's like a haiku or something. Right. It's this This page stands alone. It's really beautiful. I love the lilies. Mignola draws really amazing lilies. I could just see... uh, I think I've posted it on that Mike Mignola's art Facebook page, just his sketch page of just a bunch of lilies. Yeah, and his... Just the... Just the way he times all of this, the pacing of it is such a... The forest is very still. The bird sings, and then it just... And then we hear the hissing, and then it just flies away. Hellboy knows that... But we have that moment of quiet, like right before the dragon appears. The dragon snaps away the spear and starts to crush Hellboy like an anaconda around the statue. And they have a good bit of action there. Back at the Osiris Club, they're watching Hellboy getting crushed to death, I guess, in the crystal ball. And Hellboy thinks that his spine cracks... But it's really the statue cracking under the weight of all the constriction of the dragon. And so the the statue is of St. Leonard holding the sword. And just the way the statue falls, it just happens to stab the the dragon through the head. This whole story is kind of, uh, it goes right back to that theme, you know, in time his true nature will be revealed. Again, this is theme of true natures being revealed. The thing they don't get is that it was just revealed like he stumbles into a situation he does his yeah. best <laughs> he accepts the outcome yeah and that's that's really who he is he he just he does his best and 
whatever happens, happens. And he... It is also similar to the way Anubis uh, met his end in that first story. Like, you know, the right. sign oh, fell and right. <laughs> hit <Yeah>. him. <laughs> exactly. He just happened to bump into that th- the sign with his right hand of doom and then it stabbed him. Um, so, yeah, we cut back to the Osiris Club. They're like, Hellboy lives and the worm is dead. Killed by him? No. And then they're like, well, then the experiment is a failure. So they were trying right. to figure out something. This was all just kind of, uh, it served another purpose than other Hellboy just going out there to, to kill the dragon. Just constantly these these mysterious cabals of creepy people trying to conspire to do something to Hellboy or whatever. It's just endless. This poor guy puts right. up with so much bullshit. <laughs> and so as Hellboy's walking away, he's a little bloody from his battle with the dragon. And what do we see in that really last that last little panel? A drop of blood and a lily growing up. Yeah, it kind of it has the little motion lines around it. I feel like it just like bloomed. The out nature of, his of the like place that. and the nature of the man. Yeah, so um, that's the a really good. The beast. That, that's a really good little subtle reveal there. That's a great story. That's a a good little short story. I I love these kinds of little just. One of Hellboy's little adventures. He gets sent by Broom to go meet these guys and go kill a dragon. He stumbles into success. Well, and it's a little, it's a little tiny extra reveal into his true nature, and that's, I, you know, it's a fitting title. It's, it's really interesting. All right, so moving on, we're gonna go to King. We're gonna talk about King Vold. King Vold was created for the Right Hand of Doom trade paperback in April of 2000, and it is colored by Dave Stewart. We're in Brooklyn in 1956, and this is at Brooms. This is the same place where Hellboy visited visited Broom at the beginning of Seed of Destruction, where he was sick right before he died. This is his the same little like library, I guess, because they were both both in Brooklyn. Hellboy asks Broom if he's going to loan him out. And Broom kind of tries to frame it as, as this other thing. He, sa- he tells Hellboy that one of his old friends, Edmund Eichmann, has invited Hellboy to help with some research, and he cons- considers it a personal favor. Right. And I love the dynamic between Broom and Hellboy. Again, it's just so sweet. It's very, <laughs> you know, he, it's, he's very much a dad. And uh, But you, you get, I mean, no spoilers, but you get kind of a little insight also into that parent dynamic, that parent relationship of because i said so (laughs) and that's not always a good thing is it you know that's not always the right move also like here where it says officially adopted uh hellboy officially adopted in 1946 uh by trevor broom i mean is that the first time we're getting that he's actually his adopted son as opposed to just his you know oh right yeah Yeah, i guess i guess you're right yeah yeah like his legal son which i wouldn't know how they would even do that i guess they just have different I mean, laws they, in the in this particular bureau. Well, they also did declare him like human status. Oh, that's right. No, right. he was right. no, 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 yeah. no. He was an honorary human. They declared him to be legally human. Okay, no. But I think that wasn't yeah. until ten years later. So Broom was allowed to adopt this possible non-human. Interesting. Thing. That's kind of really, yeah. yeah. I guess maybe he was the only one who who wanted to. Also, we we get a sense that a lot of people were you know, scared of Hellboy or they right. would just destroy him. So maybe they thought Broom was the best person to kind of protect him. I mean, and this story is also taking place, I mean, in 1946, isn't that the year like after, um, or is that the year before uh, Midnight Circus? Oh, I don't know. Because like the end, he was like, you know, holding him, you know. Right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just curious. <laughs> no, it's an interesting, yeah, idea. Oh, yeah. But um, so, when he was, when he went, you're saying when he adopted him. Yeah, so did he adopt him before 
that incident or right after that incident? Because either way, it it's great. <laughs> it's very yeah, it's very touching, and it's it's a wonderful insight into their relationship because it's a very you know parents parents want to do their best to protect you and they want to do their best to expose you to things that they think are going to be good for you but parents make mistakes too yeah. and that's that's also an important dynamic in that relationship because the child's ability to forgive the parent in that you know misstep is is also kind of crucial to understanding their specific dynamic in this particular relationship yeah and they the, we do get some of that dynamic i love this this is a very parent kid moment where he says now of course i'm not saying you have to go he's like yes sir yeah he's like yeah okay. yeah all right <laughs> good boy yeah <laughs> really cute a week later we're in norway and hellboy learns all these supernatural legends from eichmann we get all these little stories he tells him about a troll falling out of a chimney. We learn about a tunkal, which is a Scandinavian folklore, and tunkal translates into yard fellow. It became friendly with a girl, and when she became ill, it cried, and it wasn't heard from again after she died. We learn about a priest who was fooled into giving last rites to a pig, causing his island to sink into a bottomless pit. And I really like this, uh, the island underneath this waterfall right yeah. here. You can kind of see like a castle sunken under the water. We learn about a lady who went to a dead church service and there's kind of that dead person face in the middle that I really like that kind of mood shot. Hellboy's learned all this stuff and he's like, so what are we doing now? They're on top of a mountaintop and Eichmann says they're waiting for King Vold. King Vold, this comes from the Norwegian folktale, The Wild Hunt and Headless King Volmer and His Hounds. There are many variations of the Flying Huntsman legend. In some versions, it's Odin instead of right, Vold. yeah, yeah. And so, in this version of it, Vold said, "God can keep heaven for himself, long as I go hunting in Gur." And Hellboy's just like, "Ouch!" So he was doomed to hunt every night uh, from Orstra to Gur. So I actually looked this up because I had to. It's a thousand and seventy-one kilometers or six hundred and sixty-five miles. Mm. It's six hundred and sixty-five point four miles. So I almost wondered if that was like six hundred and sixty-six miles. It's kind of close to that. Mm. It's uh, f- about fourteen hours by car. I'm not sure how fast it is by flying horse, <laughs> but it probably takes the whole night, right? Yeah. Um, so that kind of that that kind of adds up a little bit there. And Eichmann thinks he might get to see King Vold if Hellboy's there. He's like, well, you know, if you're here, he might stop by. We might get to see him because, you know, you're a, you're a demon man or whatever. Hellboy's like, I'm going to end up fighting this guy, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, fight? Certainly not. I'll believe that when I see it. And so we hear the the dogs howling, the wolves howl, the hounds howling, and... <laughs> Eichmann, he's like, get down quick behind this rock. Don't move until I say something. So Hellboy's already like, ugh. Yeah. You can already sense that this is going to go the wrong way. As soon as he goes, hail King Vold, I'm like, oh, this guy's a bad bloke. This is not a good guy. (laughs) When he said get down behind the rock, I'm all like, what? Yeah. (laughs) It's like like, when you're like, hide in the car so they don't see you as we drive by. Right. And he's saying stuff like your majesty and all this stuff. And I'm already just like, come on, man. And Hellboy is... He hears him talk, he talking about there's like a reward and all this stuff. And Hellboy's just like, okay, this is not good. This right. is not a good situation at all. I love the character design of King Vold as well as he appears. He's like, you are bold to face me, mortal, dreadful apparition that I am. And uh, I love that uh, little panel of just him holding his own head by the hair. 
So he tells, Volt tells Eichmann that he's going to leave one of his pack there and he'll come back for him later. And if he watches him, then he'll be rewarded. And so Eichmann is all, good hunting, your majesty, right? And so as soon as Vold leaves, Eichmann is like, Hellboy, come help me with this. And it's uh, it's it's really interesting how he's talking about, oh, we're going to get paid in gold. And Hellboy's just like, you fucking idiot. Yes, <laughs> I love that. He starts to go a little You're crazy a there. fucking yeah. moron, man. I'll give you half. That's what he says. Come on. You know, Hellboy's thinking like, no, I don't want I don't half. want any I don't monster want part gold. Of this. <laughs> no, I don't want any cursed monster gold that's probably going to kill me or something. There's no way. So the the pack member that Vold left turns into this giant kind of as wolf monster. As soon as I yeah. saw this wolf, I knew there was going to be some werewolf action. I knew it was going to yes. be something like that. And then as soon as I think... As soon as I think that, I read the next panel and Hellboy's like, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And it's a very, I love <laughs> Both that. Both of y'all knew it was I love it when that happens. The wonderful twist is the berserker angle. Like he's, and he's a little pup again. It's just a very interesting dynamic that we don't often see. It's usually just werewolf and back again. And then here we see it's a little something deeper. Is yeah. This berserker angle, which I love. So first it's a hound, then it's kind of a wolf man, then it's like a berserker. They they really tie that that folklore. Something that Manuel is so good at, obviously, is tying that folklore back into it, into the imagery. The Viking berserkers were champion Norse warriors who were primarily reported in Icelandic sagas, and they were uh, known to have fought in a trance-like fury. Yes, that's what gave them that word uh, berserk. And there are specu- There's a lot of speculation to- that suggests that that trance-like state was induced with some form of hallucinogenic uh, plant matter or Ah, something like that so there was it it may or may not have been some sort of a ritual thing and and that's kind of ties into their mythology and their folklore Mm -hmm. like while they were you know alive and practicing it which i always always found really interesting I didn't. I, I didn't read that. Um, but one of the things. One of the other things. Well, it's I did not. Read, I don't know if it's confirmed or whatever. I right. think it's just something that people were speculating. Well, I just about. kind of read the opening yeah. paragraph on the Wikipedia. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got. See, I've got like books over here on the bookshelf. Like, I want to open them up and like show you all this bullshit. But one of the things that I did read is they were often known to fight. Uh, they wouldn't wear the mail, wear the chainmail. No, they, they no. would just wear the wolf skins. Yeah, or, whatever. or so, naked yeah. and or painted or whatever, and right. they would kind of run into battle, screaming and flailing, covered in blood and all this stuff, and like that kind of blood rage would was supposed to strike fear in the hearts of their enemies and they were just supposed to totally fucking rage out like the Hulk and just destroy right. as many fucking people as possible and I can't imagine how that would be effective yeah and he he was pretty effective against hellboy we see hellboy here all bloodied just kind of on the slab there and it's a pool of blood eichmann doesn't eichmann's too busy fantasizing about all the journal articles he's gonna write or whatever how much gold he's gonna get fucking idiot and we hear the hounds howling again so we know king bold is now returning king bold appears and he says mortal you have performed your service well i've heard my dogs can be trouble yeah And he's like, oh, not a bit, your majesty. How was your hunting? And Vold shows him this mermaid that he had been chasing for seven years. Mm. Now she's mine. So that's kind of another side story I'd be interested to know a little bit more about. Sounds like a really creepy side story. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And Eichmann is such a dick here. When Vold asks about Hellboy, he says that he's a servant and he passed out because he was too afraid by the dog and all this kind of stuff. 
and Vold is like, I'm surprised to hear it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think he knows a little bit more about, about Hellboy than he's letting on. Well, I like how he says he looks like sterner stuff. Yeah. You were made of sterner stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Good Transformers reference. And so Vold shoots out of his mouth all these gold coins at Eichmann. I love the image of Vold shooting all those coins out of his mouth. And what happens? Well, when the gold goes through his hands and the wor- the wolves are all howling. Yeah. And the coins turn to these gray rocks. You're just yes. you fucking idiot. <laughs> it's a beautiful panel, though. It's a, be- or it's a beautiful couple of panels, though, with the wolves and yes. the coins and all that. Yeah. Just that shot of, their, of the jaw of the wolf. Um, with its mouth open as it burns through his hand is really good. So Vold uh, says farewell to Hellboy and he calls out his name. So he knew more about him. Yeah. I like how he says his name, Anung Unrama. Yeah, it's very creepy that he knows about that. And we, I, we're left wondering how the fuck does he know this? Like, are, is everybody in hell just communicating with each other all, all the time? All these spirits, all, everybody knows he's such like a, he's such a big deal to all that. He's evil a huge side. deal. Yeah. And you, you really get this sense that he's a huge deal and he's a kind of a celebrity without even knowing it. He's like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> and I love the little ghost wolves. They kind of turn into ghosts here and it's, oh, yeah. they fade away. Yeah. And so Hellboy wakes up. He's like, what did I miss? Yeah. And he just sees that hole in his hand. And then so one week later, back in Brooklyn, I'm so sorry, my boy. <laughs> That's the first thing Broom says to him. And But then Hellboy is like, hey, you know, you said I would learn something, and I definitely did. It's not what you had in mind, but, you know, all this stuff. And so I think that Hellboy is kind of used to getting in these fucked up situations by now. And Broom's not usually the one to put him there, but he is willing to take responsibility for it. And that's, you know, some that's all you can do when a, when a parent fucks up. They feel bad already. All they're going to do is say, I'm sorry. And, 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 and I think, like I was saying before, it speaks it speaks so much about their relationship that Hellboy just forgives him very easily. Yeah. Just no problem. And it reminds me a lot of the Midnight Circus where Hellboy was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it. And Professor Broom's just, it's okay. Right. It's fine. Right. Yeah. yeah. We've seen this little painting. We saw it earlier. And we cut back to it a little closer now. I think that's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, that is little, it? That little painting. It kind of looks oh, like Oh, interesting. I don't know. I'll have to post it online. So well, you, that see is what interesting because you, our, you know, listeners a, think. a lot of these stories are focusing on people fucking with shit they shouldn't be fucking with. Right. And I think a lot of, you know, Lovecraft stuff is people fucking with shit they shouldn't be fucking with. So it's a nice little nod. It does. It really does look like him. Yeah. And we cut back to Copenhagen. I just want to point this out. This statue that we see is the statue of Absalon. Oh. And it's for uh, the Danish Archbishop Absalon, and it was erected in 1902 to mark the 700th anniversary of his death. So that's an actual statue. Mignola does a really good job of drawing it, too, because I looked it up. It looks exactly like that. It's incredible. And uh, so we see what's become of Eichmann. He's here begging for change. And in, in that last little mm. the end, we see the gold it's coins nice again. I really like that. There, yeah. I will have to say this whole story kind of reminded me of um, like Grimm's fairy tales. The whole, right? yeah. the whole, be careful what you wish yes. for because right. he made like that deal with the devil and the devil, or I mean, not the devil. I'm sorry, ghost uh, with the head. It's a harsh ending. But it's it's, it's like you know when you make deals with. Uh, Fucking ghosts, man. Evil or, spirits. Or yeah. just like anything, you know, any kind of like quick path to yeah. riches, it never works out. Yeah, right. so, like you're, yeah something that doesn't take yeah. any skill or hard work to attain it is, and he, he was, Hellboy was doing all the work over here, you know? Right. So yeah, I agree with that for sure. All right. Good one. So now we're going to move on to the corpse. 
the corpse uh, is drawn by Mike Mignola with colors by Matt Hollingsworth. It was originally published in eight parts in Capital City's Advanced Comics, issues 75 to 82. So it was just a couple pages at a time mm. over a bunch of issues. And then it was collected in January of 1996 in a book called The Corpse and the Iron Shoes, which had both of those stories in it. It was collected again in March of 2004 to promote the Hellboy movie. It came out in one of the, you know, when they have those 25 cents comics, the Hellboy movie was coming out and that uh, movie kind of features some things from this story, right? We'll talk about that a little bit more as it goes on. Our story begins in Ireland in 1959. Hellboy has been summoned by a man to help a woman who doesn't believe that her baby is hers. She says when her husband leaves, it laughs at her and it says awful things. <laughs> I like that where it cuts to the baby yeah. where it says awful things and you just get this baby just looking. It's just like a really <laughs> cute, funny kind of juxtaposition. Uh, and then um, I really dig the I love the iron bit here. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I love that he's <laughs> he's approaching the baby. He's like. You look pretty good to me. Yes, you do. Oh, maybe your mom is crazy. <laughs> got something for you. You know, and it's a very, yeah, like, yeah. patronizing kind of a thing. Because he knows this is not a baby. Right. <laughs> he knows the mom is not whatever crazy. He knows that this is some kind of a demon or a fairy or something. And so he's <laughs> he takes out this this piece of iron in the form of a horseshoe. And, of course, this creature immediately freaks out, which right. I love. Because, yeah. you know, he absolutely cannot stand... The touch of iron. Well, I like um, what he says to the baby. He's like, I got something for yes, you. Yes, exactly. What do babies like? Babies like iron. Yes, it's a very <laughs> interesting moment. And I, I just really dig that a lot because it's um, it's something Mignola does very well. He takes folklore and he puts it into a context that is super entertaining with this, this little goblin fairy right. uh, freaking out over, you know, the, the iron. And that's uh, that's something that's... It's something that's been captured in a lot of different cultures. Is right. that iron is it, it burns? It, yeah, uh, it burns these kind of they, creatures exactly. And so Hellboy gets the this goblin guy with the iron tongs. He threatens to get Father Nolan involved, but the goblin asks for mercy. He tells Hellboy to get to the crossroads under the corpse tree at midnight, and he'll find some guys who will tell him what to do. And Hellboy just kind of throws him into the oven. I I, I like that little bit of it, it's kind of comedic the way he just kind of tosses. Well, him. Well, because he comes out the chimney, you know, yeah, he's not hurt. And he's, he's like hee hee hi ho, all this kind of stuff. In the and window. And yeah, I really crap. like that. It's it, it, it's it's really funny, and it gives this little guy this little guy a lot of character. It's a very tongue in cheek kind of a scene, but I I really like it because it introduces us to the way the story is going to go. This could be a very grim. This could be a very grim kind of a story, but it's it's got a it's got a lot of humor in it, and I I I love that Mignola's able to take what could be a very dark storyline, and he 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 makes it something that's that's it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it really it's horrific is. and and terrible, but it's also a little bit fun. I was gonna say I like a uh, Hellboy's watch down there. It's yeah. pretty pretty stylish. I like I like the, <laughs> the shots of the watch a lot. Well, and then when the the rope with nothing on it is swaying in the wind and creaking, and it's it sounds like there's something that has weight to it that's attached. But as soon as that that watch hand hits midnight, you've got a yeah creepy fucking swinging body on it. And it's just but it's and it points silently at something, and it's like I said, like it's 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 such a 
it's such creepy subject matter, but Mignola does such a good job of adding some levity to the situation with these uh, these weirdo guys here. Yeah, I just want to talk about, so right before Hellboy goes on his mission, he tells the man and the woman that they have to play by these rules. Right. It's kind of like a game, and you have to kind of go through this whole thing. So he's just going to follow the directions that this guy told yeah. him. And that panel that you talked about, about the corpse tree, I guess, right? That's what they call the right. corpse tree. I think that is some of the best pacing. Absolutely. It's just one of the best panels Very in all of well Hellboy comics. Very well-paced, well-timed, yeah. <clears throat> so these three guys show up. They're carrying a corpse. He tells them that he's looking for a baby, and they know with the baby, right? They say her name is Alice Monahan. They introduce Hellboy to their dead pal, Tam O'Clanny from Killarney. They love him. And they refer to a king and how the king was fond of Tam. And he asked uh, them to lay Tam in a place that a Christian might like. They tell Hellboy to bury him. And if he does so, he'll get the baby. This sticky corpse kind of clings on to Hellboy. It kind of grabs so onto gross. him. And they kind of laugh. They go, oh, Tammy, you don't want to fall off. Right. But, yeah, it's a comedy <laughs> it's bit. like grabbing onto him. It's a comedy bit. And, and Hellboy's constantly talking about oh, you smell and he's like you know giving him a piggyback ride through this whole adventure and it's just a very weird and funny kind of a situation wasn't there a situation like that in one of the movies well yeah so let's talk about that too the the, the corpse is is uh th- there's a scene in the first movie right. that's largely taken from from this story right? yeah well, it's like in the first movie he has to go grab a corpse to help find him here but so it's definitely got that imagery and it's really cool how they were able to pull from these different stories yeah. to make the movie that they were going for yeah yeah and it's it's just um another illustration of how these kind of folklore aspects can bleed into all these different stories they don't really adapt this at all right but they still use it in a way that's just really well and well it's it a really interesting concept it, it, of having it, 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 this corpse yeah. show you the way to all these weird places and it's just a it's just a and of course poor hellboy is kind of his lot in life to be in all these disgusting <laughs> uncomfortable situations with corpses all the time but he seems to take it in stride though he he's does. all like no, he does he's like corpse just another day at the office yes right. exactly so these little goblin guys, they give him the rules. They tell him that they have to, they tell him that he has to bury Tam in one of these four cemeteries. Mm. And so all these names, I'll go ahead and not butcher them. <laughs> um, so he has to bury uh, him by daybreak or the child is lost. So the corpse helps uh, Hellboy find the key to the first church, right? He kind of tells him, check the stone over the door. So the corpse is kind of like giving him tips like throughout right. this whole journey on what to do. Um, when Hellboy enters the first church, he lifts a cobblestone and a knight rises and he tells him that there's no room. And then from under all the cobblestones, they're all saying no room. I like the uh, look of that knight. He's definitely got a very Knights Templar. Yeah. Well, it's a very crusade uh, yeah, so kind of me, a look. So if it's definitely a crusade Knights Templars, there's definitely not going to be any room in that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So um, they all tell him no room, and so he's like, strike one. So where's the next one? And the corpse kind of points him into the next one. He's like, well, this doesn't look a whole lot better. And so they go in there, and they see a graveyard. And then, uh, well, this flaming skeleton pops up in Hellboys. I've never seen that before. And then the all the no room and the flaming skeleton, it's so creepy and yeah. wonderful. It's just, it's really wonderful. I love that page. It's, it's yes. just really um, well done. This seems like one of the first times that the fire actually has got more of a 
fire look to it unless it's more like that uh, look, yeah. That's yeah. a circle crackle to it. And you know, I was I was going to mention this at some point. This is an earlier Mignola story. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like an earlier art style. So this is maybe more akin to the art style that was in those four-page promotional right. stories or or e- maybe even Seed of Destruction whereas uh in the comics timeline We've already gone five or six years as he's developed his style more and more. So coming back to this story is also kind of coming back to an older art so style. style yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, uh, good eye there. Um, I like this moment, this next moment where they see the stone pillar thumping the ground. Right. And uh, that probably comes from some sort of sort of folktale. The corpse says that there's gold under there, and he just kind of starts to go crazy. And Hubble is, why do you need gold, though? Given what do you your need present it for? condition, yeah. <laughs> what the hell do you need gold for? And so he just kind of keeps, Hellboy is like, oh, shut up. And he calls him his granny, right? He like, says, you're like my old granny. So they go on to the next one. And this one looks like it's kind of like an underground crypt. Or well, he makes, a, he makes a really interesting comment here. Ah. He says, I got the impression we were looking for a Christian burial ground, so... This is not the place. Right, right. And it's it you immediately get the sense that this is some sort of shamanistic pagan burial ground that's mm. under the protection of something totally other, which I appreciated its inclusion here because that's you know, it's a it's a it's a fey place. Right. Yeah. And and Hellboy can't get in there. He can't even go near it. He 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 just keeps getting hit uh, by like an invisible wall or something. And, and there's it, a little note yeah, that comes out of I was it. Gonna, what is yeah. that? What do you what do you think I don't that know. is? Yeah. It's a it's it's I'd a magical I'd be interested to hear musical, what people's yeah. interpretation of that is. Yeah. So they're going to another place here. So they go to the last one, Kilbreedia, and we I love this owl. We cut to this kind of elsewhere type setting again and we see that elf, the goblin, fairies, owl, and he's the king, right? Mentioned earlier. Yeah. They say they must honor the beast, even though they will die a little more by doing so. Um, but the goblin that was burned with the iron vows vengeance, no matter what the king says. He steals a key, and we learn his name is Gragach. <laughs> this is known as a brownie in Scottish, and is a and it's a household spirit. Gragach uses the key to free Jenny Greenteeth. This is an English folklore river hag. And I love this shot as she goes down to open right. this coffin. This this coffin just looks really weird and like heavy and like whatever. Well, it's got it, runes on it. You yeah. can clearly see the runes here. It looks like it's buried into the sediment and it's just like yeah. Yeah. been there for a long time. So they get to this fourth Yeah, place at Kilbreedia. Yeah. Hellboy crosses a bridge and he's confronted by this giant pig creature. The boar. Grom war monster all of these references that Grogok makes war monster champion of Connacht, champion of queen mebd all the things yeah all those things those are all references to irish mythology and as he's giving this big speech he just immediately gets eaten by the grom right i thought that was pretty good so much for that little guy and then they have a fight here hellboy and this giant boar and he has this moment. He's kind of looking. He's ser- searching his utility belt, right, for for the for the secret item. Yeah, and I love this. I love this amulet charm 
the sigil on it is is really interesting and i um yeah i just i just really love moments like this obviously i'm i'm always kind of a sucker for stuff like that the cornelius agrippa's charm against demonic animals yeah <laughs> right so apparently he used it on the vampire cat of kyoto i'd be interested to see that story i, w- <laughs> I want to see him fight the vampire cat of kyoto We've talked another episode about the skeleton crew replicas. That's one of the replicas that they make is the Agrippa's Charm. So you can actually buy that. And they have a nice bit of action as they fight. I really enjoy this where um, the charm kind of flies back and he catches it in his right hand of doom. And then he whams the monster with it. And he's like, that's working. So, I love when things work. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so this time we get a wham instead of a boom? Yeah. Well, I, I, this story also occurred a little earlier, too. So this is maybe before we started to get more of our classic booms. The boar monster runs away. And Hellboy's like, oh, if I had more time. Like, he really wants to go fight that thing. <laughs> but he's like, oh, I got this mission. I got to bury this guy. So, And they've got to do it before daybreak. So he's on a time crunch there. He so goes. Then he, this guy starts freaking out. He's like, "Where's my arm?" He's yes. go looking for the arm. It's just a whole bunch of. It's a mess. You've and Hellboy has to. Yeah. He has to go down there and get it from Ginny Green Teeth. And she, uh, this panel where she's just like chewing Awful. on it. He just like punches her. I'll be back for you, you horrible thing. Right. <laughs> I really, I really enjoy that. So he comes across a grouse. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say I like how um, that look on her face. She's like, "What? I'm just eating an arm." Right, gross, <laughs> dude's gross. dead. He ain't gonna need it. Terrible. <laughs> he comes across a very convenient, freshly dug grave. Right. He's like, "That's handy." All right, cool. Just toss him in. And he's like, "Oh, there you go. You were smelling pretty ba- darn bad towards the end there." And then uh, this this guy comes back. And... The, well, the corpse calls him Granny one more time. He's yeah. got to stick that last thing in there. He's like, yeah, just stay in there. And so we've, uh, <laughs> we're settling up here now. You owe me a baby. And he's like, sure, I owe you a baby, but I've got to tell you my sob story. And I, it's actually something that uh, hits hits pretty close to home. It's, it's, it's really interesting when he talks about how they're all going to march to the shadows under the world where people where the old people go it's too late the sons of adam will cry where are the children of the earth gone right so they were they were taking find them they're gone forever yes so they were taking the baby to raise it with their society and kind of help them uh, continue to live on and so by hellboy taking this baby he's preventing them from doing that no living child of our race has been born into the century and no more will ever come and we know this and so it's one of those things where He's talking about his his magical race is dying. They're they're going to be gone forever. And he's saying the humans are going to regret that. That's going to be bad for y'all. That's right. going to that's not going to that's not good for you as much as it's not good for us. There should be balance, and we should have a place in this world. And so Hellboy is just kind of like, all right, well, um, these parents don't care. They want their fucking baby, right? So. He says, sure, why should she be a person when she could live under a log like with a, you guys? Yeah, why should she be a person when she could be a goblin? So it's, you know, this very, he's he's just like, look, I just want to put this baby back in this household. And this guy's got kind of a a bone to pick. He's like, look, you're half in, half out. You can understand this. So th- This is a magical race of beings that needs to be on this earth. And humans are going to suffer just as much as we're suffering now. And so it's sort of a, it's almost like a, a little glimpse into a bigger problem down the road that we're not dealing with now because we've got immediate concerns of, well, this family wants this baby, so I'm I'm not going to pay attention to this. But there are 
there are, it's it's just one link in a big chain of issues that's gonna down the line prove to be a really difficult problem and so right. i just i just like that little it wasn't just a fun romp of ah we sell a baby sell now a baby. you have a baby back it's a very like it it Mignola is good at tying that into something bigger right and that's what i really love about stuff like this is yeah it's a little short story but it it, it still ties into something grander and I, I also think it kind of ties into, if you've seen Hellboy 2, The Golden yeah, Army, right. there's kind of the elves and they're trying to come back to Earth because right. they're, they're going to fade away, right? Their their race is kind of fading away. It's kind of like a similar deal. And then, of course, you get the little shot of, okay, the baby's fine and all the little fairies are leaving, the little brownies. And Hellboy, we, we get a nice callback. We get a good callback to the iron bit where... Hellboy taps the baby with the yeah. ironing. Is like, oh, you're okay. <laughs> That's really good. Super cute. I don't know why this just popped into my head. That whole thing in Willow with the brownie stealing the baby and the little yeah. ba- and oh, the yeah. little brownie going, I stole the baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to mention some uh, last little thing. These little beans, uh, they come from Irish folklore. And it translates to people of the mounds. So they, they lived in the mounds. And it was a parallel universe where they could walk amongst the living. Yeah. And so that's kind of, we've seen that a little bit whenever they flash to the elsewhere. That's what I kind of think. Like It's a parallel They're existence. there in yeah. the same space that Hellboy is Absolutely. in the Earth reality, yes. but they're in a parallel kind of elf reality totally, or whatever. Definitely. Absolutely. And that's actually, <laughs> I hate to, I, I know I've already talked about Terrence McKenna once in this podcast, so I'll try not to harp on this, but Terrence McKenna has a lot to say about that, the parallel realities and how you can access that through certain shamanistic uh. rituals like DMT or mushrooms or things like that. So anyway, it's just a little okay. aside there. Good deal. So now we're going to move on to the Iron Shoes. The Iron Shoes, like I said, was uh, published in that one shot, The Corpse in the Iron Shoes, in January of 1996. And we open up on some folklore from Edwin D. Wolf and Catherine Boggs. So there's a real Catherine Briggs, and she actually has her own folklore award. Nice. And she was a distinguished folklore scholar who lived from 1898 to 1980. So mm. maybe Mignola is doing a little tribute to her oh, here. Oh, that's nice. Uh, we're in Ireland, 1961, and Hellboy approaches a creepy-looking tower uh, with some gravestones around it. We know how much Mignola loves drawing this kind of stuff. He's good at it. And uh, so there's talk of some creatures that were repelled by iron, um, but some were not. And the theorists, they kind of go through all the different kinds that weren't, with right. one of the most fearsome being the Iron Shoes, who was exceptions. this bloodthirsty goblin who lived in ruined towers and preyed on travelers. So that already sets us up into what Hellboy is probably going to be facing here. Now, does this... I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Does this demonologist and professor of medieval literature this folklorist guy does that does he coincide with anyone that i couldn't find a reference anyone to him i think maybe maybe he's a tribute to somebody yeah but it, but i i couldn't find it if or any of our listeners know let me know but i can only find a, a reference to the other to the lady and yeah. shout out to trinity college my friend renee double majored there, oh so. yeah good job trinity college so Hellboy walks into this tower and he finds a skull on the ground. He just kind of looks around. Is anybody home? And then in the next panel, he immediately gets stabbed by all these spears. 
Doesn't it only one spear stab and the rest just kind of fall around? Oh, maybe? yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, a bunch of spears fall down, but he drops his gun immediately, which has kind of become a, a staple for him. <laughs> yeah. It's also kind of got a very kind of like opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of feel yeah, to it. Yeah, where I was like just the about to traps. Say that. Yeah, because he throws some stones down at him, too. And we kind of see in that last panel Hellboy's pulling out the rope. Live or die, win or lose, best beware, my iron shoes. And the goblin comes down, iron shoes first, and they have just like a some action here as Hellboy kind of lassos him with the rope. It's over pretty quick. Yeah, he pulls him out the window, Hellboy gets pulled out too, they wrestle on the ground a little bit, but it's all really well done. The action is really good. I love Hellboy being pulled out yeah. uh, of not the much tower, crashing much through it and falling down. You see his... Uh, little cloven feet again here though too i love to see that we approach a church hellboy's dragging the the goblin to a church and hellboy just throws him on the floor of the church special delivery father mike he's an ugly one and as he touches the church floor and the the bell bongs he just turns to dust or whatever just leaving the iron shoes no thanks father i'm traveling light this year why don't you hang on to them for me so he tells him to just hang on to the shoes and the father's like lovely yeah and that's it that's a very succinct little story yeah there's a nice little shot there of just the two iron shoes sitting there in front of the church statue and before we recorded today we watched the little cartoon on the one of the hellboy dvds the animated dvds there's a they 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 adapt this whole little story in an animated form. It's only about two or three minutes. It, it's, it's really it's good. It's Ron Perlman and um... uh, Dan Castaneda. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, it it was pretty good. What, what did y'all think of that little cartoon? I was actually really impressed how they were able to just translate the entire story. I mean, it was just like real quick, and it's it a makes me quick story. it makes me sad that they didn't make any more of the Hellboy animated stuff other than the two movies. I think all of these short stories would translate well into animation. I really do. Yeah. I, and I think that would be an easy little... Uh, well, I would, I'm not going to say easy like animation is easy. I just think it would be a, a nice compilation DVD to have. I yeah. Think would be really cool. And there was a... We we also watched um, a little interview with Mignola who was he was saying that he thinks that it actually translates this particular story, The Iron Shoes, translates really well into animation. So I would love to... I would love to know his opinion on what other of his stories would translate well. I think, yeah, you know, there would. I I agree. I would be interested to see that as well. And on that little interview, he talked about this was a tribute to a goblin called the Red Cap or something. Yeah, and he would dip his cap in blood or something like that to and make so... it red. Yeah, and so he kind of traded the the Red Cap for the Iron Shoes. Yeah, he, he said. I, I just liked the idea of Iron Shoes. I well, it would he be said cool he liked the name. I the just like the Iron name Shoes. Iron Shoes, which yeah. is great. <laughs> so well, the, a lot great of his are, we, we keep coming back to this. A lot of his stuff is like, I think this would be cool. And then building this myth, this 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 mythos around it, and, yeah. and finding folklore that would tie it together. And I I just really appreciate how well he does that. But he's so humble. He's like, and that's it. You know, there you go. There he you says go. that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's all he does, and I love that so much. All right. So next, we're going to talk about the Baba Yaga. The Baba Yaga was yes. a short story that was made specifically for the Chain Coffin trade paperback in August of 1998. In this story, we open up on Bereznik, Russia, in 1964. Hellboy speaks with this old woman in the cemetery. And she says that the Baba Yaga comes each year on the same night to count dead sinners' fingers. And they discuss her curious habits, right? She's like, it's not for you to understand. Yeah. And right? there's, a, there's a, well, there's a very real feeling of, look, Russia has its own 
things and the Russia has its own folklore and mythology and we have we have our own customs and you know you don't live here you don't understand you don't know about it and so hellboy is like nah i got this and right. she's like all right well. well hellboy says that he's been finding little tiny bones yeah right? little so... children's bones so he's he's very invested in finding right. out who the fuck is murdering these children which obviously is admirable but i think that this woman is trying to warn him that he's in over his head on this one and so that's really ominous I've been reading from the Omnibus collection, so I... From the library. The library, excuse me. I've been reading from the library edition, and um, there's a part in there, there's a little note from Mignola where he says that he added the part about how she counts dead people's fingers, and there is an actual Russian folklore story about how she counts spoons. Right, So that is... That is an actual thing. So he kind of was like, wouldn't it be cool if she counted... So, but the way that he puts that in the story is she's like, well, if she is going to sneak in your house to count spoons, that means that she has, you know, odd proclivities and she's got these odd little habits. So why wouldn't she count dead men's fingers? Why not? So it's, yeah, it's, (laughs) I think that was cool that he stuck that in there. It's also cool that he added his own spin on, uh, on the whole Baba Yaga story. And, and I do like how he doesn't just take from one uh, mythology like you yeah. said like they got the whole russian folklore in this one and then of course you know they you know we were just talking about the irish folklore right. a few moments yeah. ago so it's really cool that hellboy just travels the world and encounters all of these different all, all monsters these cultural supernatural beings yeah and i think the way that he ties that into hellboy he, he he wants to tie these rich cultural stories into this hellboy mythos by like you said Aubrey taking his own spin on it and um, he wants to do it justice but at the same time he wants to kind of he doesn't want to disrespect it so what he does is he kind of blends it in a very interesting and unique way into his own mythology so there's a great scene where the Baba Yaga flies up to the cemetery Hellboy's like watching he's staking out and she says, come out, babies. I love that right? part. And uh, all the the fingers come up out of the ground and she counts them. I think she counts all the way to 101, mm-hmm. right? She stops there. Someone's missing fingers, maybe. Right. <laughs> well, I, th- I just thought it was interesting that she count that that's the number she stops at. Right. Right. And then so she says, now who's special to me? And she calls over Katayev. You serve me well all your life. Will you serve me again? And she kind of breathes life into this skull. The lights come on in the eyes. The so. skull lantern. Yeah, I love the way that that's animated. If that's the word. Yeah. I love the way that the light is animated. And remember at the epilogue for Wake the Devil where we saw the chicken leg house, there were all those skulls with the lights with in their the eyes lights, in yeah. there. Yeah, so we now we get to kind of see where they're coming from. And so when Hellboy sees this, he's just like, that's enough. And he just decides, you know, I'm going to plant you right here, you horrible thing. And they have a they have a good little fight there. She takes the skull with the fire in it and she throws it right in his face. So he's kind of blinded and he just kind of shoots off. I get the sense that he just kind of shoots his gun without even really realizing it or looking or aiming. Now, he must have like a special magic gun. Like the are the bullets magic? What is it? Like he's, because she's like a magical creature. Well, isn't that the same gun he got from the Torch of Liberty? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he hasn't seemed to have lost that one yet. But I was gonna say, uh, him firing blind is probably why he actually hit something this exactly, time. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. he's supposed to be a bad shot. I don't really know if he has special bullets. I know in the movie he does. He has like bullets that have like herbs and 
Right. So I'm just uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just there. wondering yeah. if you know, I don't know if a regular gun would be able to actually do anything to the Baba Yaga. Right. Well, maybe it's something to do with the, like the metal, like uh, like I don't know, like the the goblins in the last one had like a version to iron. Yeah. Maybe oh, there's yeah. something to do with the lead. It's got to um, be something, yeah, about it. But yeah, so uh, she's fucking pissed and. Yeah, well, she he shot her eye out. She's just flipping out, hurling gravestones around. Right, what have you done? Yeah. And then we cut to these animals, and I, I just want to just comment. I absolutely adore when the bird is talking to the frog. I, you know, I live for that stuff. I love it so much. Yeah, this is really good. So all the animals are talking, and they're discussing the Baba Yaga's passing. And then this bear says that she's not dead. She's gone away, but she'll never die. And so long so, as Russia endures, so I thought it was really appropriate that the the bear yeah, is communicating this that, to, yeah. the, to the to the reader almost. Yeah. It's really interesting. And just like one of our uh, listeners was writing in to us, it all it seems like the animals know a lot more, right? Absolutely. And, and here's another theme of that. This just, illustrates that so perfectly, yeah. for sure. They're almost our our humble narrators here in this, and that idea that Mignola would tie all of this to nature is as Harold, right? Very fascinating. And so, yeah, I, I love that he he used the bear as as that messenger, particular messenger. And um, down here at the bottom, this old woman, her reach is long. Right. It's because, her only comment on that. Well, because children were born blind for a year yeah. after that happened. So, you know, that's, but it also, that's what they would it say. It also yeah. speaks to... I was going to say born blind in one eye. Right. Uh, right, right. Well, like the Baba Yaga. Yeah. She got one of her eyes. And so it's it kind of it gives the impression that they're talking about Russia in maybe a more thematic way, right? As well, yeah. As as like, yeah. You know, the, not even the fucking Nazis could take on Russia. Like right. that was something that, and you know, so I I really feel like her reach is long is kind of alludes a little bit to you're not gonna fucking come in here and do anything to change right what we've got going on right because it's too fucking big you can't take it on and. Hellboy tried to take on the Baba Yaga. She was too fucking much for Hellboy. She ended up being bigger than just another baddie. It's a really well-crafted story, and it also lets us know that she's definitely coming back. She definitely has more to do with Hellboy than just the monster of the week kind of a deal. Well, and so this story is kind of a flashback for us because we already know that she lost her eyes. So, you know, when we saw her at the end of Wake the Devil... Um, she had already gone away with the chicken leg house. Right, but and just I'm, she, she yeah. was missing an eye. So now we get to kind of flash back and see how all that went down. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I just mean that. I just mean that you can like if if Hellboy can't because we see Hellboy take out people left and right. Just you know he has a battle with them and but they ultimately lose. These are huge figures. You know you, you're dealing with Hecate and and Baba Yaga and Rasputin all kind of tied up together. Mm-hmm as a almost a triad and so it's it's um yeah it's super scary and yeah. i love it so much they continue to endure as villains of his absolutely over, over the years yeah well i like also in this afterwards he talks about how this story was originally supposed to be in an art adams book but it ran late and he was ready to put out wake the devil and he really wanted to use the baba yaga but then he said he still wanted to go back and do this because he really wanted to see hellboy shoot her eye out yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of us too. When we read that, we were like, "Oh, I want to see! I want to see how that happened." We know Hellboy's a horrible shot. How did he possibly make that shot? So and yeah, so when Mignola's talking about, it, I just really wanted to see it. Like, yeah, you and me both, man. Thanks for drawing that out. Awesome. So now we're gonna go on to heads. 
Heads was a backup story that was featured in the issue Abe Sapien, Drums of the Dead, One Shot, from March of 1998. So here we open up on Kyoto, Japan, 1967. So it looks like Hellboy's been to Kyoto a couple times. He not only fought a a, a cat there, but also oh, right. some heads. Well, and didn't we, uh, we also watch this? Yeah, we did. So on the Hellboy animated Sword of Storms movie... They incorporate the heads short into the middle of the adventure. So in the middle of the story, Hellboy is on his travels, going from point A to point B. And in the middle, this little story happens. And they do a pretty good adaptation yeah, to it. Yeah, it's great. They add in some little stuff to make it to tie, tie it in into, with the rest yeah. of the cartoon. But Like him having the sword and then talking about it. But other than that, it was a fairly straight great adaptation yeah. it was really good we, I, I really enjoyed watching that i love this opening scene so they, they talk about that there's a house where something terrible happened nobody will go near it and evil still you know remains in the house because demons live there and these shots of hellboy just chilling out and smoking i really like those a lot um just kind of setting the mood and he's awoken by this guy hitting him in the head in the side of the head <laughs> he's like what's the problem i was sleeping but he tells him he can't sleep there because it's too dangerous but he has a house with other guests where he can stay and so it's a big house with a lot of room so they'll stay there he says you can stay as long as you like and there's this kind of mood setting shot of this uh statue that looks really ominous hellboy meets a jolly group of japanese men and women and mr lu tells a story um this horrible what did, you, what did you guys think about this story it's a horrible <laughs> story it's not a party story it, it, it seemed like he was trying to be shocking but then just came off as telling a really bad horrible story yeah and so Hel- you know and hellboy is not shocked by much at this point so he's just like well i'm gonna go to bed so. well yeah he first he says well that is a funny story <laughs> you know i just realized i'm awfully tired I could just hear him hear the patronizing in his voice when he says uh, yeah. funny story. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's um I cannot recall where I read this or heard this, but I no, I read this. There was uh Mignola was making notes for somebody else on how to draw Hellboy. And he said, We don't ever see Hellboy's palms. Oh. Oh, but, but here there's we... a clear shot of Hellboy's oh. palms. Oh, Good, Danielle. I, I, I didn't really catch that little detail. So Mignola doesn't necessarily like to draw Hellboy's palms or keeps it in shadow or whatever. And so sort of instructed another artist to kind of <laughs> take that route and maybe don't make a point of showing Hellboy's palms or maybe keep it in shadow. But here you quite clearly see Hellboy's palms on his uh, his left hand here, which I thought was really cool and really interesting. Yeah, um, you don't I like really, that. You don't normally get... I guess that sort of shot, not that I'm keeping track, but I, um, so I really appreciated that kind of rare glimpse of his entire hand there. It nice. Yeah. It's definitely going to make me pay attention to that a lot more. I know. Now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to call anyone out. I just, uh, it was just, it's, oh, no. Me I mean, yeah. not, not, not as like calling, but just like something to kind of like, oh, wait, no, it there's another me as one. Interesting. Or, yeah. It was or really cool. You really don't see his palms. Yeah. <laughs> so Hellboy is pretty suspicious right off the bat. Yeah, and I love this. He comes out with his gun. He's like, "Excuse me, can I get a drink of like that's his that's yeah. his in his in conversation with a gun? Can I get a drink of?" Um, and he finds them, and they don't have any heads. He's like, "Never mind." And he's he's figuring this out quite immediately. He's like, right. "Well, there's no blood anywhere. Everything's really clean. So, uh, you know, let's get into this." Where right? the hell are your heads? Well, the very <laughs> next thing he does 
is he hides all the bodies in the lake. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that he knows to hide the, their bodies because he knows exactly what's going on because then he immediately goes to look for the heads. So, again, there's an example of Hellboy's no stranger to this mythology. He's no stranger to this situation. He knows exactly what's going on, and it's a fucked up, creepy situation that any one of us would be like, this is a huge, horrible mystery. What the hell is going on? But he's just like, all right. I got to hide these bodies. I got to go right. find these fucking heads. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's, he knows exactly what's going on. And that's just, it's hilarious to me. It's it hilarious is. that he, he just treats it as a very matter of fact. Yes. Just another day at the office. Like you were saying, Aubrey, it's very. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, well, no blood, no nothing. All right. Chuck these guys on the river. Yeah. yeah. So as Hellboy's out looking for the heads, they're also looking for him. They've suspected that he's fallen asleep by now. And they comment that they're starving. And then they, they let out a big scream, realizing that he's gone and he's taken the bodies with them. And so they all start freaking out, look around, find him. And then one of them just gets blam, like the yeah. the head just gets blown open. And some of um, these scenes were directly adapted to that animated yeah, thing that we were watching. Yeah, the animated does so a really good job a fantastic of job scr- with this. pretty much getting screenshots of all this moment. This is really good. Um, but Hellboy, he's a pretty good shot right here to hit that flying head, you yeah. know, in the right in the middle. Maybe he was aiming for the one next to it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of action here as they're all kind of pulling at Hellboy, biting at him. Hellboy grabs a tree branch and he says, batter up heads, and he just starts like clobbering them all around. They call him old man, which he's offended by. Who are you calling old? But he is pretty old at this point. I think. Uh, I think I don't, I don't know. I, I really no, think he, he ages differently. Thirty something years old. But even if it was regular years, he would only be twenty something. He's not human, yeah. so it's you well. Know. I mean, even that. I mean, he's still not that old. I mean, compared right. to these demon floating heads, right? Yeah. Probably. And so he tell he tells him that the sun is coming up. And they just start, all start to melt in in the sunlight. And he's they're the like, smoking where? skulls are really fun. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, where did you put our bodies? And he's like, I threw your bodies in the lake. You guys didn't look very hard. And then really as, like they're, as the skulls are sort of turning into dust and fading, you see one of them still trying to talk, but you can't quite make it out. And that's the only time I've successfully seen a murmur uh. animated <laughs> in a comic. I was yeah. really impressed by that. I thought it added a lot to the mood. Of the moment there. And a closing shot of just Hellboy saying, there, there you, go. you go. Right. And that's such a Mignola <laughs> thing because he does that on all of his little, I don't know. The afterword. The afterword. Yeah. He's yeah. In, there you go. And that's something that he actually says, which is fucking adorable. I'd also like to add when the skulls are on fire, it kind of reminds me of um, The Legend of Zelda where Link had to fight those um, flaming skulls, yeah. which names are slipping my brain right uh, now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and so Mignola, in his, in his little notes for this story, he says that he doesn't really know anything about Japan. He just wanted to do a folklore in Japan, so he kept it pretty close to the adaptation. And he said, the flying heads in the folklore eat bugs. Oh. All right, that was a good one. Moving on, we're going to go to talk about Goodbye, Mr. Todd. Goodbye, Mr. Todd was a backup story in Gary Gianni's Monster Men in August of 1998. So here we're in Portland, Oregon in 1979, and Hellboy just looks at this building. He's just like, what an awful place. <laughs> that's, that's his first comment on it. Uh, and there's another car, and it's for sale. Oh, yeah. Here's another car. That's a, I think that's the fifth car we've seen so far. We see the poster for the amazing Todd. He does his uh, seance act, and Hellboy says, Some, uh, something tells me this isn't going to be good. I love the introduction to this um this character, this Marianne character. She's 
she's just immediately the very first thing she says is i don't think i can go back up there right no no <laughs> no i mean it she's, she's very adamant that she's not fucking going back in there and i uh i really <laughs> i really like that you gotta respect that yeah. yeah so hellboy got a message from the bureau but he didn't really know too much so she tells him that Mr. Todd was doing his normal thing, and it went all crazy on him. Mary explains that Mr. Todd is a medium, and that he uses ectoplasm to call spirits, and they create human forms from the ectoplasm. It turns out Todd was faking some of his act and and started having trouble with his concentration, so he started experimenting with drugs to help him get into a trance-like state. And we get this shot of him smoking something with, like, those... This, uh pattern behind him i I really like that yeah and um well didn't hellboy also say that he had uh, seen him like back in the day or something yeah he says that he caught his act in in the past and that it was right yeah and that it was legit too yeah so that's something that you know i guess he he started like she was saying he couldn't uh quite get there anymore so he's doing this now and jeez is right because uh the very next panel the very next page here is Something to see. Oh, right. It's a scene, man. So, oh, wait. Oh, I just want to say with that picture, he's smoking something. He, he kind of has that uh, that guru 60s kind of vibe. Look yeah. Going to him. Uh, been watching a lot of documentaries about crazy gurus lately. I just so. watched that. I just watched that documentary that you're talking about. The Wild Wild Country? Yes, I uh, just saw that. We're, we're still in the middle that of it. That was absolutely wild. Anyway, so, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and Hellboy also mentions you shouldn't use drugs. So, don't, well, don't use drugs. Well, I... Now, he, well, what he says here is really perfect. Instead of plugging into the regular spirit world, he sort of went fishing in the deep end of the pond. So, although I don't agree with the statement about substance use, well, I don't 100% agree with it. I think that obviously there are some substances that you just shouldn't fucking touch, you know, like heroin and meth and things like that. That's, you know, you're just going to fuck yourself up. But there are certain plants that are key tools for uh, shamans in some cultures when used properly. Obviously, this is not that situation. This is not the case <laughs> no. here. So I love that we're introduced to the idea of um, it. Like he says, it's the deep end of the pond, which if you're not if that's not where you're trying to go for a specific certain reason, then you, you do not belong there. And we see that time and again where he runs into people or beings who are in over their heads. And he's trying to do a magic, a magic act to entertain people to get money, which right. You know, that's not his, this is not his same arena. He doesn't really belong here. But there are cultures where shamanistic work, you know, that it does include the use of some plant matter. And, you know, so I don't, I don't think that 100% of the time drugs are bad. But here, obviously, this guy is not. It was not a good idea. This is not a good idea for this. It was not a good idea to pull this giant tentacled jellyfish no. from well, the I, nether world I, and, and I, through the ectoplasm. Well, we're introduced yeah. to the idea of, of ectoplasm here for the first time in the Hellboy world, yeah. and it's its relationship to mediums in in particular and specifically in in this universe. Uh, he talks about there wasn't enough juice in him for the thing to form completely, and now it's stuck. Right, and that's why Mr. Todd is all kind of disheveled, too. Yeah. It's using all of his fluid, and it's stuck in that moment. But Hellboy's got something that'll help, right? And it's... I like that Hellboy's utility belt is full of all this witch shit. Like, yeah. we saw all these <laughs> talismans and charms at first, and now he's got dried herbs and plants in there, and it's super good. Right, and uh, so she says, well, Mr. Todd be okay? And he's like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> 
And so uh, this arbutus is uh, known as an Irish strawberry tree. It's a sh- it's a evergreen shrub. Yeah. And it's native to the Mediterranean region uh, and Western Europe, north to Western France and Ireland. In the footnote in the comic here, it says that it was used by Greeks and Romans to chase away evil. And there's a good uh, moment where she's just like, uh, and Hellboy's like, what? And there's like a tentacle yeah, coming around to grab him. And the stuff with the matches is is good. Like yeah, so stuff. the first match goes out, and so she has to light it for him while his arm is just sticking out of being pulled into all the ectoplasm. And so as soon as she lights it, it has an effect. The, the, the creature starts screaming out, and then it all gets sucked back into Mr. Todd, right? The All the ectoplasm and Hellboy as well. Uh, on the next pa- page, he's got like this kind of broken you know malformed image yeah. uh, where he's Poor all Mr. kind of Todd. cracking and everything and then he just kind of bursts open and hellboy's just standing there with the herb in his hand <laughs> i really enjoy that yeah i like his line there he goes geez we never see something like that coming yeah. right and he's like well sorry about your boss yeah. there's nothing more we could do for him but we did get rid of the creature that's the important thing right well, and she's you know she, what happens when you're fucking like, with uh, shit you ain't got no I business guess. fucking with i mean <laughs> And then and this last little panel, I think I guess that that's the jellyfish creature, right from the netherworld. I guess right. that, that's its, that's its real form. I wonder if we'll see him again. I wonder yeah. if we'll see him I again. If we'll yeah. see him again. And so we get a little the end there on the Mister Todd poster. That was a good little one. Um, Mignola says that this was going to be the opening scene for his first miniseries, um, but he and he he says that he attributes the story to H.P. Lovecraft and his love of ectoplasm. Yeah. And he said when Hellboy was going to be a team book originally, one of the characters was going to be an ectoplasm power ah. guy. I wonder if we'll get an ectoplasm I powered wonder. guy in the future. Next, we're going to discuss the Verkalak. The Verkalak was written for Dark Horse Extra in six installments. And so Dark Horse Extra was like a newspaper type publication you know sometimes these comic companies do kind of like a newspaper thing and so it was actually in a different layout it was more like in a newspaper comic layout oh wow and then so mignola wanted to put it in the collected versions so he went ahead and just redrew it for it to have the traditional kind of panels and page layout which i think is really crazy so he kind of redrew it and expanded it, and he notes that there are some things that he likes about one version over the other. We can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna comment that I, he said that he liked one version. Oh yeah. Well, that he likes things about one version and things about another version. Yeah. So. I also like here in the same note that you're talking about, he says the story was inspired by a single paragraph I read 20 years ago describing <laughs> a type of Romanian vampire which eats the sun and the moon and is able to cause eclipses. The hardest thing about this job was finding that one book again so I could get the name of the vampire. And um, Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And I, it says a lot about the way Mignola works. And I really, I just really like that part. And I also, you know, I have to agree. I, I just like saying it, the Virkolak. Like yeah. it's a, just a really fun <laughs> thing to say. It's a good word. I can't hold it against him trying to find it again because it's a good-ass name. Yeah. So when he was looking for the book, do you think he was looking through his own stash or having to go through like bookstores? I have no idea. Like yeah, bookstores? I don't even know how he managed to find that again. I think he has his own little library of stuff. I've seen pictures of his studio but, and stuff like that. I think he's got his own little folklore section. You just imagine him just picking up a book. Nope. 
no, no. <laughs> Virgo luck. So when we open up, we see Hellboy's looking at this dead body, and it's got two little kind of vampire bites on its neck. We're in Yorkshire in 1982, and this is in northern England. Hellboy enters an old creepy castle, and he sees a portrait of Countess Countess Alana Kakowski. Kakowski, yeah. So he she's Romanian. He goes into. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so Kakowski's casket is beneath the portrait. Hellboy says she's a long way from Budapest, so we figure he's had run-ins with her before, and he attempts to stake her through the heart. And just as he's about to, she opens her eyes, and at that moment, uh, Hellboy immediately falls through the floor. As he's falling, there's this like panel behind with the with the skeleton and the. Right. Do you see that? I I was wondering if that was a reference to something. I I really like that image back there. And he crashes into what seems like a pool of blood with the casket. And there's all these graves everywhere. Of course. Super creepy. Yeah, I love those Mignola graveyards. So, how many times have we seen Hellboy fall to the floor? (laughs) We were on, what, episode five? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been a bunch. I should have been keeping count of those. And so these super scary corpses are like, stay, it's, you know, just extra right. scary Right, so they, gross. they're telling Hellboy to stay there with them. They quickly overtake him in their mass numbers, and Countess Kakowski asks them if they hear, and they respond, the Verkalak, right? So this, the Verkalak is a Romanian folklore. It may refer to several different figures. In some versions, it's a wolf demon, in Norse uh, folklore, it's the wolf Fenrir, and uh, in that form, it may swallow the moon and the sun, and it's responsible for eclipses. I, I love uh, this next page here with all the bats. The colorist did such a good job with this. I really, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so all the bats kind of sweep up Hellboy. I think this might be one of the things that Mignola likes more about the other version. In the other version... right. There's a bigger panel of all the bats. There's a little. Bit, there's a close up of one of the bats, and it looks really cool. I'm wondering if that's maybe one of the things that he liked more about that version. The Countess marvels as the Verkalak. Hellboy just comments that he's big, right? <laughs> she says that he's the king of all vampires, and Hellboy finds himself frozen. He's super scary. Yeah, and so this this giant monster is just huge. I, I, I like this one panel where he says uh, on the previous page where there's just like a skeleton holding this long yeah. box with a cross on it. That's just like a really good image. And then uh, the the Virkalux comes up and he's gigantic and scary and horrible. And when he says Hellboy, we've got an entirely different font here. So you know you're dealing with something really, really fucking scary. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was noticing he kind of, th- those are his big fingers. He's kind of scooping Hellboy yeah. up almost. Um, and it looks really kind of oh, yeah. creepy, yeah. But then he snaps out of it, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And she was, she got you. Yeah, you put the whammy on yeah. me, right? So, <laughs> was this like vampire glamour? Or yes, something like absolutely. That, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, so he stakes her through the heart, and he's just like, "How's that?" And we see an image of you know her body with all the blood draining out of it. I I do like some of these monster of the week things that aren't necessarily part of the mythology. You know, yeah, I, I do like these little adventures. 
I have to agree because I feel like, you know, it just kind of like lets us know that he's been through, he's seen a lot. You yeah, know? and he's good at his job. And everything's not like all connected. It's just, there's no, just yeah. random shit going he's on. He's not necessarily fighting the forces of the entire universe all the time. Sometimes right. it's just like he goes on an adventure and he's he gets got the a story whammy. to tell. He yeah. gets the whammy put on him by a yeah. vampire countess. Well, and then it, it also... It also really illustrates those moments between, I don't know, he's talking to another agent, maybe maybe Kate, and saying, yeah, well, they got good paprika chicken over here in Romania. And <laughs> Well, how do you know about that shit? Well, because he's been there a million times right. fighting vampires or whatever. And so it's, I just like stuff like that. It adds a lot to the, uh, it adds a lot of seasoning, a lot of spice. And if you haven't seen the kind of long, uh, the long newspaper format of this story, it's in the Art of Hellboy. Yeah, so they did publish um, that. Uh, it, the, the, you can buy it in soft cover and hard cover. You have that, don't you? I have the hard cover okay. version. Yes, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I would say I did take a glance at it, and you know, I mean, it is the same story, but it, I, I like the the Sunday comic look of it. But yeah. I also like that he didn't just rearrange the panels. He redrew it right, right. Yeah. yeah and there are some things like you were talking about like with the bats and all that it's really lovely yeah. artwork so if you have a chance to check that out for sure but when he's falling down and i pointed out like that skull and the king and yeah. stuff like that that stuff's not there right yeah so i think maybe that might be the some stuff that he likes i don't know i don't know mignola's point of view and i'm j- I, I guess i'm this just is, saying yeah, the stuff speculation that I like. we're the, just the, looking the at stuff it that yeah I like. absolutely well it is a book club so, wrapping up this short story episode, we're going to be talking about A Christmas Underground. This was published in 1997 in the Hellboy Christmas Special. We open in England on 1989, and it's Christmas Eve. I was trying to think about this, because isn't Hellboy's birthday on Christmas Eve? Is it? Yeah, it's like 1223. Oh, no, that's the day before... The day before Christmas Eve. I think. So, Hellboy just celebrated his 45th birthday. Oh. In, in, at the beginning of this story. Happy birthday. <laughs> so we're in a giant old house here, and there's a doctor. He's talking to Hellboy, and he says that this patient won't live through the night because she's lost too much blood. The priest tells Hellboy of the story of Mrs. Hatch and how she moved into this house with her husband and her three daughters. One of the daughters, Annie, was strange and artistic, and she would wander out into the cemetery at night until she disappeared five years ago. And she had, like, a big imagination or something? Yeah. Yeah. Since then, everybody else in the house has been kind of doomed. Well, he specifically says there's a doom on this house, which I think is a very specific concept. One of the things that the priest says is that he had um, warned them to send this daughter Annie away. And he regrets not having done something before she disappeared mysteriously or whatever. So Hellboy uh, comes in. He visits with Mrs. Hatch. He asks if there's anything that he can do. And she asks him to give Annie a tin box. She mentions that Annie visits her at night. And so Hellboy makes a promise to her that he will. And this is a, a good little scene here. What are those flowers hanging over her, over the bed right there? Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if there's like some sort of like religious or Well, they're at the end of the folklore. bed as well, too. Oh, like, yeah. They're they're uh, on the edge of the... They're hanging on the... Maybe it's garlic. Called? Footboard. No, it's not garlic. Footboard, yeah. But no, I don't know. And then, so there's this thing where she she looks at him and these two... I love these two panels here with a depiction of Hellboy as um, Father Christmas. Yeah, that's really good. Hellboy gives the father a list of things to do when Mrs. Hatch dies and who to call if he doesn't come back. He goes into this into this cemetery, and there's a little mouse there that tells him to beware, and he just knocks over the statue. 
And so I think that this is our next right hand of doom boom right here. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out. It, it looks like he does hit it with the right hand of doom. So And he's, um, you know, with his comment, uh, what the hell is this? He's immediately wary because all his past experience is telling him this isn't good. We've got animals and statues saying beware. But then all of a sudden things are kind of bright and cheery. So at this point in the story, you know, as I'm not really sure what to expect, I'm kind of like, oh, what's going on? And then you have the normal-looking lady coming out with the candelabra. She's definitely a ghost, but yeah, she right. looks, she looks like she's bright and sunny. But as we've learned in this universe, things are not always what they appear. So, and this looks like Annie. This looks like the missing the missing sister, and she's in like this golden room. She mistakes Hellboy for Kiyote, Lancelot, or De Bergerac, right? So all these other like legendary kind of heroes and um, travelers. And she asks Hellboy to stay a while. And he's like, sure. She tells Hellboy of the cold, terrible house where they lived and how there was a secret garden. I guess this was the cemetery that she was playing in. And there she played with Pooh and Rabbit, the Cheshire cat, and a mouse with silver eyes who told her to follow it. It's almost like a kind of a mixing of uh, Winnie the Pooh and uh, Alice through the Looking Glass. Right. Vidgers and Winnie Whichever one. Yeah. <laughs> and I love this. Uh, there, there's a great cemetery shot, obviously, whenever there's a Mignola cemetery shot. And I like the little mouse saying, follow me. She tells Hellboy that the mouse let her down a hole where she found a soothing voice that led her to a, this palace. He said he was the second son of a king and he gave her a ring. She says, I belong to him. She says she's happy. And when she misses her family, she visits them. And they will all eventually come live with her. And we see like one of the dead family members. So as they all die, then they're they're joining her. They approach a dinner table and Annie says that only mother is missing, but she'll be coming soon. Dinner is prepared. And I hear others are coming. They're hungry. So he um he gives her this box here. And so she opens it up. And of course, it's like a crucifix and all this stuff. And so... That's when this bright, cheery little situation immediately turns into hellfire and disgusting skeletons, yes. and we're back into familiar territory now. Right. So it's revealed that this uh, glowing house and beautiful dinner table are really tombstones around this like kind of table of dead body parts. It's there's like, like heads in there. There's a, a devil yeah. statue, and there's all the dead family members. And Hellboy, of course, just starts knocking heads yeah. off. <laughs> Well, I also like how Hellboy would just like salt through that whole ruse and like, oh, by the way, here's your box. <laughs> or yeah. right, your mom right. wanted you to have this and then poof. So yes. I like this little salamander here and the uh, the word bubble that it utters with the sigil. Is that the second time we've seen that now? Yeah, so that, that's a good catch. The The ring turns into like this demon, right? Or it's like a salamander yeah. or fire monster or something like that. And it blows fire and it also says something that looks like when Hellboy shot Rasputin yes. in the face yeah, and that's... Rasputin turned around and he just, the word bubble just had a sigil in yeah. it. This is kind of like that that's same That's the only other thing. time we've seen that, I think. Yeah, that's really good. And so at, at the same time, the priest is saying some prayer over this lady and that we get the impression that she's dead now. And so. Right. He's doing kind of like an exorcism type ritual or yeah, maybe some sort of last, like last rites. rites thing. And um, we see there's one panel where it shows a, a knife and a stake that are that are sitting there while he's saying all this. The prince confronts Hellboy and uh, we reveal that he's like this rat monster, yeah. right? And so 
Um, like all giant monsters, Hellboy's got to wham him in the face with the right hand of doom. We got some booms here. Well, yeah, like how that's a uh, right hand of wham. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think these booms are from the monster, though, hitting Hellboy. I right, don't right. I don't think Hellboy created and these so booms. And so the earth is actually cracking apart in the graveyard. You got gravestones falling down into Yeah, it we and... see the priest is outside yeah. and the the ground kind of cracks open wide in front of him. And so Annie appears. She's a She's a fire ghost now yeah and she reaches out to mrs hatch she says i'm here forgive me for that and don't be afraid she kind of takes her hand there hellboy's still fighting the monster and then uh you know the uh there's some bells some church bells and the monster does not like that so all of a sudden it's uh it's xmas day right and i think um the monster is probably just meant to be underground, so being above ground while the church bell right. goes off is like, you know, that, that causes it to just lose all its power and turn into bones. And so this priest guy's like, yeah, I couldn't do all this cutting and staking Right, stuff. so that's that, that was maybe the list that Hellboy yeah. gave. He's like, here's a list of what to do when she dies, so it probably had all this stuff, like he was going to have to stake her through the heart or whatever. And so little Annie uh, started a fire, and she's going she's gonna to burn everyone down and... In that old house there. and I, think I like that, how Hellboy's like, it's all right. It's probably yeah. the best thing for her now. Just let it burn. <laughs> yeah, just let it go. <laughs> yeah, and Hellboy says, uh, she was a nice old lady. She saved her little girl, and she thought I was Santa Claus. So Merry Christmas, Mrs. Hatch, wherever you are. Neat little bow on that. Yeah. Mignola says it was taken from a folk tale where a girl looks under a bush and finds a staircase. And she goes down and she falls in love with a prince. But he wanted to make it more sinister, so when... So the staircase was like this underground crypt, and he made the prince evil. In typical Mignola fashion. Yeah. We've got to put dead bodies in there somewhere. Great job. So, the, yeah, that wraps up kind of our Short Stories 2 episode. Um, what did you guys think of these short stories? I liked it a lot. It was a fun little romp, a lot of fun little stories with um, some of it connecting to the larger mythology and some of it not really. And But it, it all ties into Hellboy being good at his job and then a little bit of insight into Hellboy growing up and just really getting a a lot of uh, little vignettes into this character and, and yeah. what drives him and, and all of that. So really very interesting. Great, great. Um, I used to say, um, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed these. I mean, it was just like short to the point, you know, just one-off little stories uh, that didn't necessarily connect the bigger mythology that he started creating in the other um, books. But... Um, well, they were just fun, you know. There's fun little reads, you know. You just pick it up quick, read, bam, dude, got a good Hellboy story. Yeah, they all have kind of those creepy little elements and all this kind of historical fiction, which I like. And yeah, good, good times, good times. So now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Uh, so what did you think of these short stories? Uh, don't make me repeat all the titles. <laughs> <laughs> Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we'll be discussing Being Human and Conqueror Worm. So pull out your back issues, library editions, omnibuses, or download the digitals and do your homework and join us and follow along. You can find the podcast at Podmean and on Apple iTunes and other various podcast services. That we're on you can Spotify use. now. We oh, are on, on Spotify. Spotify. Sweet. I can tell my sister. <laughs> Please uh, rate and review us also. That really helps us out. It lets us get more visibility. So if you're listening to us on any kind of podcast platform, 
give us a, a rate and review on there. We really appreciate that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, in the immortal words of Socrates, I drink what? Uh-uh.